Well, one of the four principal functions of the CIA is to gather intelligence and, and ideally forward it to the, the president, the users of information, the policymakers, as they say. There are other functions, however, some of them more legitimate than others. One is to run secret wars, the covert action that's written and talked about so much, like what's happening in Nicaragua today from Honduras. Another thing is to disseminate propaganda to influence people's minds, and this is a major function of the CIA. And uh, unfortunately, of course, it overlaps into the gathering of information. You, you have contact with a journalist, you will give him true stories, you'll get information from him, you'll also give him false stories. But you do buy his confidence with true stories? You buy his confidence and set him up. We've seen this happen in, uh, recently with Jack Anderson, for example, who, who has his intelligence sources, and he has also admitted that he's been set up by them. You know, every fifth story just simply being false. Uh, you also work on their human vulnerabilities to recruit them in a classic sense, to make them your agent so that you can control what they do, so you don't have to set them up sort of, you know, by, by putting one over on them. So you can say, here, plant this one next Tuesday. Can you do this with responsible reporters? Yes, the Church Committee brought it out in 1975, and then Woodward and Bernstein put an article in Rolling Stone a couple of years later. Uh, 400 journalists cooperating with the CIA, uh, including some of the biggest names in the business. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, October 30th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Just making sure we're not muted to get started today. Well, thank you for joining an important show as they have been, I think, always are, but especially today, especially with what's going on. We have a lot of important misinformation to break down, some follow-ups on some important stories. I, I decided to wear my ap, uh, absolutist free speech absolutist t-shirt that says I support T-Lab on the back, which, by the way, you can buy on our website if you want to go to the uh, Big Frog drop-down for our uh, apparel link. We also have, still have the ones we've been selling, question everything on truth clothing and so on. But I just think the idea of this today is especially, and what's always very important, but with the clip we started with right there, which we played a lot, we, we played that during COVID conversations, we played that during the Ukraine, you know, it, it's interesting because it, it, it's interesting how we can routinely go through these situations and then routinely find out we were lied to and then routinely fall right back into that trap. Some people, anyway. It's mind-blowing. The point is to understand, not always assume, but understand that people in power, as, as even RFK was saying moments ago, but weirdly now blindly listening to some of them, my father told me when I was a kid, people in authority, people in power lie. He said that many times, and it's, it's true. It doesn't mean everything I say is a lie, but the point is we have to always consider whether or not we're being manipulated. And you know what? Maybe it's even for some greater good that I can't wrap my mind around. I don't think so, but either way, the point is we have to be able to be honest with ourselves and recognize that Biden or Trump or DeSantis or anybody else in any other position of power, if they decide that it's necessary for their interests, that they'll lie to you. 
In fact, they'll manufacture entire lies. They'll manufacture entire agendas and situations around those lies to be able to sell you on a certain goal, a certain agenda. Our entire history is rife with this, but yet we debate about it today. Not if it's happening now. We debate that too. People actually debate whether that's even possible. Pearl clutchers to act like, how dare you suggest that they would do such a thing? How dare you suggest doctors would lie about certain things? You know, in any concept, it's all the same. And we need to remember that's the case. Now, today in general, we're going to go through, again, as I said, some important follow-ups to stories. We're going to actually start with an interesting point about Zelensky that I think you guys will find especially you know, humorous, but at the same time alarming. And we're going to start again with the focus on uh, the, the leaked plans that we were just talking about yesterday. Or yeah, yesterday. And the conversation, as I framed it then, the plan was always to genocide in Gaza. And I mean that in two ways, both the plan that was put out, I think it was October 13th, but just the fact that it's always been the stated, if you listen to people when they say things that aren't inside the corporate media, the Western perspective, end up talking Israeli politicians, always been the goal. I mean, how do you, how do we even debate that when the original Nakba was about exactly that? This is what was always the plan. It's been in varying degrees of trying to accomplish that. But we're going to go further into this today. Go back to another what's called the decisive plan in 2017 by uh, Smotrich, I believe, and discuss what they were outlining then and how weirdly it's exactly what we're going through today and show you that aligning that with this leaked plan and what other politicians have been saying since this started, since the seventh, you know, this section of it, that they've been saying exactly what this plan seems to outline. And again, all it really tends to show you is that one, that they're not interested in helping any of these people. And by the way, I'm going to, the second section we'll get into after that is including the hostages, or rather the prisoners or POWs or however you want to frame this. People that are taken that are in Gaza. It's very clear that they're indiscriminately bombing as according to just about anybody, anywhere you want to listen to other than governments who have a vested interest in lying about it. And, and we're supposed to pretend like they're trying not to hurt those people that they don't know where they are while they indiscriminately bomb. It doesn't make any sense. And I, that, that works for both the people they've taken, but also just average Gaza Palestinian civilians, which they pretend they care about. But you can't come into Israel and we're going to bomb you anywhere you go anyway. But we care and we're going to work with the U.S. to make sure we're doing our best. Now well, it looks like we just didn't get enough. You know, that, that's kind of the narrative that's being built. But the idea here is clearly that they don't care about any of these people. And that the plan is to get what they want at your expense, which is pretty much my framing of any government in the world. But as I said, we're going to talk about the recent hostages or prisoners or POWs that are the video has been put out. With with them essentially calling out Netanyahu saying, do you want to kill us all? I, you're bombing everywhere. We're here. Like and, and now, obviously, we could ask whether this was something that was done under duress the same way I would say in reverse. So it's very likely or possible that this could be something they were put to say. But the logic still applies. They are still bombing in places they know they are without knowing exactly where they are. That's obvious. And so it's very telling. And then we have the other videos of hostages, POWs, prisoners that were released that are coming out and saying I was treated well. They gave me food. They gave me feminine hygiene. They, and it just doesn't add up with what we're being told. And we're going to compound, uh, put that together with the bigger picture of what they are actually doing and what they're continuing to do. And it comes to a really important, in between there, we're going to break down some embarrassing, more embarrassing levels of blatant misrepresentations, lies. Just, and one, one of them has to do with the German tattoo artist that's coming back up around again. 
sadly enough, it seems that we I still don't think we can prove just about any of this. And yet the Israeli government is putting this mother through yet another round of, oh, she was alive and now she's dead. And I think we can't prove any of that. Worse yet, I think they don't know that. And or even worse than that, I think it's even likely based on what we talked about in the Hannibal Directive and the timing of this, which I'll get into, that she was one of the people killed by the IDF crossfire or directed targeting of hostages per people on the Israeli radio, people on mainstream Israeli media, people from the security guards of the kibbutz area telling us that they fired at hostages. It's all on the record. It's impossible to ignore. These are Israeli citizens telling us what happened, and yet we're being lied to about it. That doesn't mean that everybody killed. I quite frankly don't think, I think we can prove that everybody killed was not just because of that. I think Hamas people killed civilians. I think we can prove that. The degree is what I'm trying to prove in all of this. And those that did should be held accountable, just like anybody who kills a civilian anywhere should be held accountable. But what we're seeing is that there's a lot of misrepresentation, lack of information, and yet they're telling you what they want you to think. And then already his story is being shown to be false. Even even misrepresenting what the mother said about what's happening. We're going to get into another discussion about how apparently a hostage was released or wait, maybe cap taken because IDF and yet IDF says one thing Netanyahu says another. And it just shows you that this is all about cultivating narratives and they're contradicting each other. Makes you wonder what else they're lying about. And we're also going to get into an important conversation about the Russian airport and the conversation of how that's all. It's funny how the things that make it under the. I already know everybody knows what I'm talking about. And the reason I think that's so ridiculous is because it's one story about one location that's very far away from the major topic we're actually relating it to. And we're watching carpet bombing and genocide, mass killing of civilians. And the only thing the corporate media wants to tell you about is this one airport where a bunch of people were going to attack Jews. And I can get into the story and show you that it turns out that it's tied back to a CIA-run telegram channel that seems to have made that happen. Certainly, it doesn't mean those people there didn't maybe hate those people because they're racist. But it means that it's something that's being engineered to make you think that's what everybody thinks who may just care about Palestinian lives. You won't hear this in the corporate media. Big surprise. But we're also going to go into and finish largely with the point about Amnesty International and how they are. I mean, this is from the 20th. In fact, 10 days ago, scathing breakdown of provable investigations showing not only do they target civilians, not only are they deliberately not caring to even look if they're there in the first place, but that they are targeting hospitals, medics. Just indiscriminate bombing, war crimes, unquestionable. And yet your government doesn't care. Media doesn't care. Remember that. Not because they're wrong. Not because it's because they have a job to do and it's not informing you of the truth. Now, let's start with the point in regard to Zelensky that I I think is well worth the conversation because this is... It's it's just so... It's, it shows you so many different things. I mean, I could do an entire show just on this one point. Nobody believes in our victory like I do. Insider Vladimir, inside Vladimir Zelensky's struggle to keep Ukraine in the fight. This is posted today. Now, it looks like Time Magazine, but reposted by AOL. So it looks like a Time Magazine article. But there's a lot you could read in here. I just picked out a couple of points I thought were important. The main ones being, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Ah, That's frustrating. I lost the, uh, the highlighting. Not that you guys need to hear this, but I have two different highlighters, and one of them is impossibly slow. Makes me pull my hair, lacking hair out when I go through it. And then there's the other one that I use, which seems to vanish every now and again. So I battle between using the one that takes me 45 minutes to go over one article versus the one that's quick, but seems to vanish. Anyway, so you wonder why this happens to me all the time. In any case, the point here, let me try to find it really quickly, is, well, first of all, is that Zelensky is 
basically, oh, that's right. Now I remember how to look for it. Okay. So the point here is it's saying, and this is starting from the middle of the article. As I said, there's a lot more to this, but it says at the end of the year, last year, during his previous visit, we remember how that went, right? Zelensky received a hero's welcome. They even make the point to say that they kind of even U.S. pundits were blown away, counted 13 different standing ovations. One senator said he couldn't remember the last time three in three decades that many people or that that a foreign leader got that many standing ovations. It's just and it's not even to get into the absurdity of what this person was and where he came from. The very much wag. The, he's like the living embodiment of wag the dog. This person comes from a TV station. He's an actor. It's ridiculous. The TV station later becomes his cabinet. The one plus one media station, which is run by Zol- Kolomoisky, who was pr- at least previously head of the Jewish Congress who is also funding the Azov movement, which makes no sense, but it was also the chief financier of Zelensky. And it's just this whole game is blatantly obvious. And let's not forget the made on square, the U.S. government, the coup, and they created all of this, but that's for another conversation. The point, 13 standing ovations. Okay, well, the point actually is what has changed. <laughs> you know what's changed. There, we can, apparently, we only can care about the current thing, right? You, you just can't, you can't balance two things in your mind if you're in the two-party paradigm. Well, this time around, the atmosphere has changed. Assistance to Ukraine had become a sticking point in the debate over the federal budget. Now, this is back in September, I believe. So one of Zelensky's foreign advisors urged him to call off the trip Yeah, in September, warning that the atmosphere was too fraught. I don't think he cares about that or even understands what that word means. But congressional leaders declined to let Zelensky deliver a public address at Capitol Hill. Hmm. Now, this is September, mind you. This is not even the, in, in October and when this is happening. So we're already seeing the decline in interest in Zelensky. You know why? Because Americans don't want to fund extremists in Ukraine. And I'm talking both sides of this paradigm. And this, what we're seeing in the Israeli-Palestine conversation today is that. Just like we saw with the COVID conversation or damn near everything these days. People are seeing beyond the illusion that it is the two-party paradigm. Even if they personally invest in one side of the, pol- the p- political spectrum. They're just like, we. they don't want to be forced into this game about the one thing we're supposed to care about. We all, we, we, you know, the injection or the next thing to Ukraine, the point is people are starting to go, wait a minute. I support freedom and blah, 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 or whatever you think we're supposed to support. I think Russia bad guy, but I don't want to fund Ukraine's war. That's, it, it, it got all over the map. So the point was all the way back then, people were just already pulling away. And they, this is when we start to see, like we're seeing with Israel today, where the politicians, you know, after 17, 18 days of indiscriminate bombing civilians go, well, let's, let's talk about international law. Why? Not because they care. Clearly 17 days went by. It's because you care. And because you started pressuring them in a thousand different ways. And they do have to some degree care about your influence. And that's what I think is happening. Same thing here. His aide in September tried to arrange an in-person appearance with him on Fox News. And even Oprah Winfrey interview. And guess what? Neither one of them came through. Think about the change there. This guy could walk into anything, anywhere, and get an instant interview with every TV station anytime in the peak of what was going on. Why? Because this was a massive propaganda push. Now, before we even look to October, he was getting kicked to the curb. Oprah's like, we don't care about you. We're talking about Lahaina. People just stopped talking about it. And I think that is, it's, disgusting in its own right because there are people that are suffering because of what they created it's like afghanistan to a degree well i mean actually quite literally the exact same thing creating a situation that's supposed to mire russia into a war and then just washing your hands of it when you think you got what you want or when you get tired of it right 
Mahujuddin, Afghanistan, Soviet Union. It's the same damn thing, except that situation, Soviet Union came to an end. Whether or not you think it's because of that, there's conversations to be had. But what did the U.S. government do with the extremists they used in Afghanistan? They walked away. Well, there were still people and agendas going on, but those people then took over lots of Afghanistan. The Afghanistan people got nothing out of it. The U.S. government used them to achieve what they want. Now, it's a lot more complicated than that. The point is the same thing happens. And the U.S. government just goes, look at this fly. Look at this butterfly. Look over here. Look at our new agenda. And Ukraine's left to suffer. Not the extremists they were funding. They'll go somewhere else. They're probably on their way to Israel. The point is that the people of Ukraine and the people that were suffering in Donbass and Crimea, that is what's happening. Now, I could read a lot more because there was other highlighted parts in this, but, you know, bottom line is it goes to today and it's the same point. In recent months, the issue of corruption has strained Zelensky's relationship with his allies. Oh, interesting. You mean the issue of corruption that we raised in the beginning and you guys said we were conspiracy theorists and now suddenly that corruption just pops its head up back? No, it never went away. They put the worst people in charge and now they're quibbling about corruption because we are pointing it out. It's just amazing how this continues to go. The fake news of today is the thing they deep, they're, they're desperately trying to make sense of tomorrow, and even though we were telling you a year ago. It's always how this tends to work. Now, that point aside, same thing today with what's going on. Zelensky's striving, trying to put his head out there to get some attention, and they just don't care. Now, the, the money in regard to the recent bill he's trying to put through is likely going to happen, if you ask me. 100-something billion dollars, much of it for Ukraine, lots of it for Israel. None of it makes sense because none of it is in the interest of Americans. But we just talked about this. This was yesterday. Gaza genocide was always the plan. And we also pointed out that the FDA admits that getting COVID shots and and flu shots together can cause a stroke. (laughs) Oh, my God. Where'd you hear that before? Maybe like two years ago from us. But, you know, that was fake news then, even though now they find it out because they did a study. How did we know? Well, because we proved that they didn't do the study back then. At the very least, we knew it wasn't safe. But anyway, starting with Corey Morningstar's tweet. Now, this is what I was talking about is kind of going back and talking about before the leaked evacuation plan or whatever you want to call it to the Sinai Sinai Desert in Egypt. This goes back to a previous discussion. Israel's national security minister, uh, Etmar Ben-Gavir, is a depraved far-right extremist, Corey says, and I agree. Rabid Zionist, sadist, and psychopath. He needs to be taken out. That's that's her opinion. I'm not going to state that. I don't think that. But I just, in general, don't call for people's assassinations. Not my place. How Smotrich's West Bank plan actualizes a second Nakba. And this this is what we're getting into. Now, here's the link. Now, shows the first option, second option. I can read it there, but I'm going to go right to the article. Now, this is first at the New Arab, how Smotrich's West Bank plan actualizes a second Nakba, March 22nd, 2023. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but let's not forget, in March 2023, and it references this, this is where Dan Cohen had pointed out that they have already discussed, passed a bill in regard to retaking Gaza that will involve many casualties. Again, it's almost like this was planned out, seems that way. Seems to be what's happening right now. Very interesting. Now, this goes on to say in the first paragraph, suffer under apartheid, leave, or be killed. Those are your choices if you're Palestinian. And that's like a documented plan. We'll, we'll show you right here. This is the ultimate ultimatum given to Palestinians by Israel's member of Knesset, Basilil Smotrich, in his 2017, it's called the Decisive Plan. A six, and then six years later, the same blueprint acts as Israel's official policy in the West Bank. That shouldn't be a surprise because that's what's guiding this policy. 
The, the enterprise of illegal settlements in the West Bank has increased under every Israeli government. So this is the same thing we talk about when we point out that left, right, whatever they want to call themselves, the war policy always goes forward. And, you know, a few other primary agendas like the Great Reset, different things they pretend they care about, even the ones that talk big talk about certain things later quietly go along. Sort of like a 92 to zero passing of a bill that endorses Israel's actions by literally everybody in Congress, even though there were people saying we have to stand up and then they vote yes. They'll always say they want you what they want you to hear in hopes that you think that they're on you're on their side. And then there's certain times where you see that they're not. My point is in the same thing in any government, but especially as Israel's government, every single one of them has continued the illegal settlements, illegal per the United States, per the UN, per everybody. They're illegal, guys. There's no way around it. They are illegal settlements. Like we just showed you the Harvard clip where they all got up and walked out when they started talking about settlement. There's no legal situation here. The UN has always maintained its legal occupation. And one of the primary points of that is that you can't then continue to encroach and take and move. That's displacement, by the way, which is what's happening today again. But every single one of them, including throughout the peace process of 1990s, which shows you how fraud, what fraud that was. It's always fraud, fraudulent. They're pushing you into a position like the two-state solution to make you think something's going to change. And then they make up an excuse to not. I made this point with Yemen all the time or when I was covering that a lot with the Houthis and Saudi Arabia, where they would say, peace talk. The Houthis would go, okay. They would step back. Saudi Arabia would push in, take more territory. And they would go, hey, for a f- they didn't listen. And the U.S. government would say, oh, Houthis didn't listen. They fired first. And you could prove that wasn't true. There was people on the ground, international people going, that's not true. And what happened, though? It amounts to a fake peace discussion. Houthis, in good faith, step back. Saudis take more territory. That happened like four times. And every time... Pompeo at the time would point at the Houthis and say, they fired a rocket and something happened. And you could, it was always the same narrative every single time. And then of course, when it got to a point where they said, we're not doing it anymore, they go, see, they don't want peace. It's just, it's, it's Western framing is always how this works. It says, but the 500,000 settlers in the West bank, all illegal, by the way, illegal settlers, many from outside of the country and the 200,000 settlers in the occupied East Jerusalem, and the 16.1% expansion of the last five years are Smotrich, for Smotrich, are simply not enough. Full annexation of the West Bank, which, by the way, is illegal. And even Jordan has said that would mean, well, technically displacement, they said, would be war if that happened. That's already beginning to happen. He said that's needed. Full annexation of the West Bank is needed to create what he calls, quote, a clear and irreversible reality of Jewish theocracy on the ground and extinguish any illusions of a Palestinian state. There's nobody in international fields that pretend pretend that's what makes sense. And this is why Biden and the rest of the Blinken are putting forward the two-state solution because they know this is what they're saying in Israel. The the, the belligerent extreme of the one side, they don't exist. They're not going to be here. We need to make it. The only thing between the Jordan and the sea is Israel. But of course, if Palestinians say that, they call it genocide. They call it your they call you a terrorist for saying the same thing that Israel says all the time in reverse. No, it'll be Israel between the Jordan and the Sea all the time. The point here is stating that is essentially counter, not essentially, it's counter to international law. They're supposed to be because they know this is originally Palestinian land, which is what that means in occupied territory. They're supposed to decide if they get an area, you get it, but they don't want that. So they want to remove them and take it all for themselves. And it's stated policy. And yet we debate about a two-state solution. I mean, I'm I'm trying to show Westerners how ridiculous this is. uh, During Trump's administration, Robert did an entire documentary 
called the steal of the century. Remember Trump was talking about his deal of the century, pretending the two state solution. All they did was roll out an entire bastardized version of it, which basically just in broken language, in, it basically enshrined this current situation, pretending like it gave them their own area. It didn't. It was all just a bunch of language and, and legalese that made it sound like something was changing and you read into it. And it's just like the situation as it is with new words around it. That's why it didn't happen, guys. But the point was they keep trying to sell you on this lie. Smotrich's denial of Palestinians' right to self-determination, it continues, is part of Israel's long-held plan to abolish the Palestinian, Palestinian before their rights are revoked. It also seeks to uproot any hope of a Palestinian state by accelerating what Az, uh, Azmi Bishara calls the Bantus, Bantustanization of the West Bank, explained... Palestinian literary, uh, literary critic Anton Shuhut in the New Arab talking about this in in their conversation, basically meaning that, and this has been brought up a lot about the the growing population and should they give Palestinians a vote, well, eventually that would end up meaning that the Israel it wouldn't be the Jewish state alone or even the Israeli state alone. There would be a lot the the dynamic would change, but that's what a democracy is, right? They're not a democracy, and that even Avi Shalom will tell you that. The point, though is that if you allowed that to happen, well, their argument would be that that would eventually then they would lose their, their basically their rights would be revoked because Palestinians, I, I mean, you could argue that's possible, but there's no evidence to suggest that, especially when people are acting like they, on one side of this, in good faith, wanting some kind of two-state solution. Now, I'm not saying that as my opinion. It's just that simple when you listen to Israeli politicians repeatedly state they will never let that happen over and over and over, over the past, as long as I've been doing this. And there's plenty of Palestinians that would say that that's not the, they don't want that. But most people in positions of authority in Palestine will say they want that. Very different. It's a very different situation. Quote, this is achieved by approving dozens of illegal outposts on private Palestinian land, which is all legal. It keeps happening. We all know that. Enforcing demolition orders of Palestinian construction and repealing the 2005 Disengagement Act that approved Israel's so-called departure from Gaza and the Northern West Bank. For Israel's newly elected extreme far-right government, that's numbering today, all are fair game. On 15th February 2023, the Knesset approved the first reading of a law that would revoke the Disengagement Act and repopulate the outpost of Hamash and the settlements of Sanur, Gadim, and Kadim in the Northern West Bank. Now, this is what we're talking about here. This is what this is the re-engagement discussion. Repeal the disengagement. That's what Dan Cohen was talking about. It happened in March 2023. Now, it says Smotrich's historic provocations, which the importance of that is that they've are now they want this. They've talked about it, now they've impl implemented the legislation that then begins this motion. And now look what happens in October. I don't I find that really hard to miss. Smotrich's historic provocations, having been jailed for three weeks for allegedly planning to attack an Israeli motorway, an Israeli motorway with 700 liters of gasoline in a protest of the disengagement are smudged across the bill. Think about this. This is a guy who's, fight, who's fighting against the evil terrorists, and he's literally a plan to, to use gas on a motor, on an Israeli motorway, because they were going to allow that. They basically, he wanted them to go back into Gaza. And if they didn't, he was going to potentially, potentially put Israeli lives at risk because he cares about you, right? Sort of like the guy right next to him who just said on the record that if there are Israelis protesting what we're doing, we're going to shoot them if they get in our way in the streets. That's what he literally just said. He called for violent force against Israelis who simply protest in the streets if they're on the side of Gaza is the point. They care about you, though, right? Democracy, though, right? Same point here, for that matter. I was going to say one more thing here that is what's interesting 
I think I've spaced on it. Well, going forward, then this gets into the actual plan. Smotris writes in the executive summary of his decisive plan that there is only room for one expression of national self-determination west of the Jordan River, that of the Jewish nation. Now, see, he didn't say Israeli, did he? There's people other than Jews that live in Israel, guys. There are Israelis who are not Jewish. So doesn't that seem interesting to you that it's very specific? And that's why, and here, I'll, I'll just play this again, since I think this is always an important clip. And I've played this a lot, but this is one of the, this is a very highly respected British historian who lived in the time, he, he, he's spoken about, I might play this other one about the Iraqi Jews in a minute, but here he is speaking with Human Rights Watch about the fact that this, uh, uh, the reality. Uh, Zionism is racism. Israel cannot be both. Israel is either a racist Jewish state or it's a democratic state for everybody. And that's what I would like Israel to be. I'd like a democratic solution, one state with equal rights for um, uh, all its inhabitants. Uh, Your organization, Human Rights Watch, issued a report last year uh, about Israel Mm -hmm. and the conclusion was it is an apartheid state. And there are four major human rights groups in the last two years who issued similar reports reach the same conclusion. Israel mm-hmm. is an apartheid state. So apartheid is racism. Apartheid is discrimination. But Israel is the only member of the United Nations that I know which is officially racist. And I say this because of the Uh, July 2018 nation-state law, which says Mm. the Jews have a unique, unique right to Mm self-determination in Israel. Unique (laughs) means exclusive. It means Arabs have no right to Mm self-determination. It means even if Arabs became a majority, Mm -hmm. they would still have no right to Mm self-determination. So most certainly Zionism is a um, is a racist ideology, mm-hmm. and it is largely responsible for the Anakba that has unfolded throughout the last century mm-hmm. and continues today. Mm, definitely continues today. And as I was grabbing in the background, here's we're going to get into other Amnesty International, but just so you see it as well, that's Human Rights Watch, who you're speaking to, and I could bring that up too, but they, he's speaking to her. Here is Amnesty International, apartheid state. It's amazing we even dispute these things. Let's also keep include this in the show notes, what he references here. And I've made this point many times. It's, it's on the archive because they've removed it, which is there's a lot of cultivation going on right now. This was when a TV star, thinking they were defending the equality of Israel, clearly blinded by like apparently Western propaganda, saying, no, that bare Arabs are equal in Israel. And, it, and Netanyahu literally stepped up in the public eye and said, you're wrong, quote, Israel is the nation state of the Jews alone. That's what he's talking about. And, and people still act like this is not exactly what it looks like. Avi Shalom is making it clear. They're the only state he knows of in the UN that's, that's documented to be racist. They're proudly racist. That's what he's saying. It's an apartheid state. This is not an opinion. It's wild to me. So back to this article. And we will get into the actual uh, proof, the, not just a new Arab discussing it, the actual documentation, as always. But it says there's only room for the expression of of one self-determination, adding any solution must be based on cutting off the ambition to realize the Arab national hope between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. Of course, they want them to go somewhere else. 
But the idea then is that this is that violates international law. It violates every different UN resolution, the conversations and the, you know, the, the, where the lines are, you know, it, it's them taking what they want at the expense of the Palestinians. Now in government, Smotrich's vision has been copied verbatim into the coalition's foundational principles. Think about that. Currently, the current coalition, quote, the Jewish people have the exclusive and indisputable right to all parts of the land of Israel. Again, we just heard the same guy I pointed at saying that he and his family have more right to walk around West Bank than the Arabs do. He said on the record, that was two days ago, I think. Says the formulation and implementation of policy within the framework of which sovereignty will be applied to the West Bank. Now, to today, Smotrich is, is accountable for Palestinian work permits. Think about that. Managing the West Bank's 592 checkpoints, 592 checkpoints in the small area of the West Bank. That's what we're always taught. This is not what they want you to think it is. Thwarting Palestinian construction in Area C and ensuring the domination of the settlers over Palestinians. So the point is, this guy who I'll get even get, it'll get worse when I read directly from their own statements is the one in charge of work permits, or for that matter, permits of construction. So that's why we always tell you when they go, "Oh, you don't have a permit, get out of the way." That's because this person refuses to give them to them, year after year after year, even though they were displaced and put there in many cases. Now it says the first option, simply staying in the West Bank or for staying in the West Bank, necessitates, get this, Palestinians renounce their identity and surrender their right to statehood. Isn't this something we just dealt with in regard to what they're claiming, like Russia-Ukraine conversation? That they're claiming like Russia wants to remove the identity, even though we're watching Ukraine literally said, you can't speak Russian, you can't hold that flag. Interesting how we're seeing that happen in Israel. You can't have the Palestinian flag, you can't speak this language. Yeah, that's exactly the case. They're now saying if you want to stay here in this new future, this is 2017, mind you, you have to renounce your identity. Can you imagine any other government saying this and getting away with that in the face of what they claim the international law is and what U.S. government pretends they fight for? They don't clearly care about it because they would say it right here. A right that is enshrined in Article 1 of the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights. So the point is they don't care about international law. They literally enshrine in their own documentation things that verbatim contradict international law. So let's pretend like they care about international law. Under this apartheid regime, Palestinians would be granted limited municipal authority, barred from voting in the Knesset, and refuse citizenship. But that's that's a that's the new future they're talking about, guys. So let me explain. Let me, let me understand this. So you're getting rid of any idea of a Palestinian state. You're moving the ones that don't want to be there, and anyone that wants to stay in this new Israel, even if they want to be part of the new state Israel and forego their citizenship, still can't vote and still can't be a citizen. Do you know why? Because they're racist. That's why. Because they're not them. They're Arabs. And they're not allowed. Think about how ridiculous that is. This is documented. The second option for Palestinians is to join the 5.9 million Palestinian refugees registered under, guess what? The United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency. You know, the place they keep bombing. After the ethnic dispossession of the 1948 Nakba and the 1967 Nakba. And for those that resist or refuse to become a refugee, Smotrich offers a third option to be dealt with by the security forces with a strong hand under more manageable conditions for doing so. So murder them. My God. You guys, you guys realize this is public information, right? This guy's currently in the government. Okay, again, the, they put this out in March 2023. We're watching this play out. Here is directly from the, now this is in Hebrew. It's translated in here. That's him right there. This is his page. Israel's decisive plan. 
This is what we're talking about. The two-state model, he writes, has led Israel to a dead end. Oh, yeah. Did you not know that's what they think and no one tells you that? And Biden says that's what they want? It's that stupid. It's literally that easy to prove. It's right in front of you. And this has been the statement for a decade. Excuse me. He goes on to say the alternative to this is a new readiness of Israeli society to win the conflict. You know, the conflict with the innocent Palestinian people. We're talking about Hamas? No, no. We're talking about just the Palestinians. That's what he's talking about. Understand that. He's talking about the idea that Palestinians exist in what they see as Israel. They see that as a conflict. So how are we going to pretend like they're trying not to hurt those people in the conflict that they're pointing at? It's God, I just can't get at that point across enough. They love to present this as the way that the U.S. presents what they are. And then when they just do what they do, they literally tell you who they are. And I'm talking about Zionists, by the way, and the Israeli government. As I make clear all the time for those who don't watch this show, I, there's plenty of Jewish people in Israel and Orthodox Jews around the world that actively take the side of the Palestinians. Why? Because they have a soul and a heart and care about innocent people. I'm not talking about Hamas. I'm talking about Palestinian innocent civilians. Anybody who can pretend like they don't deserve anything or a right to exist are bad people. This is a victory founded on the understanding that there is no room in the land of Israel for two conflicting national movements. So no democracy then. Got it. Got it. Okay. Because there's plenty of different national movements. People in this country, well, I guess you you could take issue with national movements, but there's people in this country that have a different vision for the way the U.S. could go. They're not being boxed out of the country, as much as they're still seen as probably a threat by the government. Maybe that'll happen in the near future. Who knows? I mean, we're being called terrorists for having a different opinion. Certainly seems likely. But let's cut to the chase. This is documented, just so you can see it, on his own documentation, the executive summary. There is room for only one expression of national self-determination west of the Jordan River, and that's the Jewish nation. Right. Again, just not Israeli. Just That's for the Jewish nation alone. And also in this, I, I, I ended up not highlighting it looks like, but there was a point he makes in here that, and this is the kind of nonsense they put forward, that he said that their argument is that Palestinian nationality wouldn't exist without an Israel. That's the kind of hubris they have or just the lie they put forward. Because that's the idea that there was never a Palestine, that they only exist because they're fighting against us. And it's just disgusting. It's not true. And every organization in the world can make tell you that, including the United Nations, but they just keep lying about it. Based on this unequivocal starting point, the Arabs of the land of Israel will face two basic alternatives. Again, those who wish to forego their national aspirations, so denounce who they are, can stay here and live as, an in, as individuals in the Jewish state. They will, of course, enjoy all the benefits that the Jewish state has brought and is bringing to the land of Israel. And that just means like being able to go to the stores and, and whatever they claim is the amenities they have. We will discuss the status and living management of those who choose this option in more detail below. And that's what we just went into. Those who choose, and they don't, the point is they can't vote. They can't engage in, they're not real citizens. They're not citizens and they can't vote. We, we, it says we will dis- uh, we, those who choose not to let go of their national ambitions will receive aid. Highly doubt that to immigrate to to one of many countries where Arabs realize their national ambitions. So what does that even mean? Where else do people recognize themselves as Palestine? What they're doing there, and it shows their racism, is just conflating Arabs. We'll go to one of the Arab countries where you guys are all the same. That's what he's saying right there. Well, going to Syria does not mean that you're Palestine. That means they're now in Syria. They're not Syrians. Just, be, just because you want to conflate all Arabs as some kind of general nationality does not make that the case. But this is who we're talking with, guys. It is still, of course, safe to assume. Well, I, I think you get the point. They're, they're, if you read through this, it's very clear what we're talking about. That these people are being treated as lesser than, and they have two, uh, three options. You can stay and be a pariah, 
and you can't vote, you can't engage, you have to exist within this racist system, or you can leave and we'll pretend we'll help you on the way, even though we're very clearly seeing that's not going to be the case, and just get displaced again and go wherever we, you know, or we'll kill you. That's what this is. This is the basis for what we're talking about in everything we're dealing with today. <clears throat> now, again, let's not forget, and this has now been pointed out by WikiLeaks, which in my opinion definitely adds more uh, you know, credibility to it. And even though we have proven it's real, the question is really whether or not just there's plenty of documents and plenty of plans. doesn't mean they ever like, for instance, Operation Northwoods, very real, very much know that they've discussed it. They had a plan for it. And the argument goes, the narrative goes, the JFK said no. So the point is, there's lots of those that you could point at that never materialized, but it doesn't mean that they weren't real or they weren't thoroughly put, considered or that they might not happen later. In this case, I think we're watching this play out. But verified documents from the Israeli Ministry of Intelligence on October 13th per WikiLeaks suggest forced displacement of Gaza civilians to Egypt would, quote, yield positive and, and long-term strategic results. Not the benefit of any civilians, but for the government. The advisory document envisions a three-stage process, including the establishment of tent cities in Sinai and operating a humanitarian corridor, followed by construction of cities in northern Sinai from which there would be no return. But Netanyahu lies and says, don't worry, you're going to be able to come back. And then here, if you want to read more on it, this, this, this goes more into the different conversations about it. The bottom line is, is Israeli culture magazine, uh, Mekavit, published on October 28th, the leaked document issued by the Ministry of Intelligence, recommending the occupation of Gaza and total transfer of its inhabitants to the Egypt Sinai Peninsula. I think that was oh, just right here in the end. There's a couple extra points I want to include. The transfer plan is divided into several phases. The first phase, the population in Gaza must be forced to move to the southern Gaza. Well, we're watching that play out while Israel airstrikes focus on targets in northern Gaza. Well, the only difference is that they're bombing both. <laughs> Far more in the north, but they're definitely bombing all over the south, pretty much everywhere. It's almost like perfectly spread out. I'll actually show you a breakdown in a second. In the second phase, the Israeli army's ground entry into Gaza will begin. So, no ground invasion per se, but they have been doing little ground skirmishes and little poking in here and there. And uh, as I understand it, getting beat up. So we're in phase two, apparently, which will lead to the occupation of the entire strip, which is what they all seem to say they want from north to south. And the, quote, cleansing of the underground bunkers from Haas fighters, which is what they're all saying they want to do. So it's either this is a pretty staggering coincidence or this is literally the plan we're walking through. At the same time as the Gaza Strip is occupied, the citizens of Gaza will move to Egyptian territory, which is what they kept saying they want. The former president, the current president, Netanyahu, they're all saying the same thing. And will be prevented from returning permanently. That's the one part they don't want you to see. They want you to say, well, you'll be able to come back, Netanyahu keeps saying. No, they won't. We all know that. The document recommends beginning a dedicated campaign that will, quote, motivate Gazans to agree to the plan and make them give up their land. Isn't this interesting? This feels very similar to different, different things we've already seen. The manipulation of people. Like, you know what, you know what this feels the most similar to me to? This, this feels like the way Zionists manipulated the Jews. That's what this feels like to me. Just like the same idea. Pretending to be, you know, God, God gave us this land. And this is what Orthodox Jews will tell you when you listen. That, 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 that Zionists have, have taken advantage of people that believe in Judaism. That does not undermine in any way Judaism. It means that Zionists don't care about it. Zionists wanted to play these people in pretending that they were, that, you know, the, I guess the embodiment of God's will, 
which is what's so insulting to people in the Orthodox Jew community. We're saying that the whole point is that this is some kind of penance and the, you know, the history of it. And the point is God has to come back and allow and give them this land, not, not from Britain, not, not from Zionists deciding between multiple locations. That's not, that's the real history. And so the point is that by convincing these people they needed to move or using surreptitious terrorist actions from the original Lehigh, different elements of the Zionist parties to force them into this. They wanted to convince them that this was what was supposed to happen. So I've, it's almost like they're just ta- creating a new version of what they did in the, in the beginning, but applying it to Arabs. Now, here's where I'll play that other clip, actually, because it's the perfect timing for what Avi wants to tell you about what originally happened. And Zionists admitted to doing this to Jews in order to create the state of Israel. Iraqi Jews were convinced that Israel had a hand in uprooting them. After the 1948 war, there was mounting popular hostility towards the Jews in Iraq. Five bombs exploded in Jewish sites. The series of bombs created a panic which led more and more Jews to register to leave the country. I met an elderly friend of my mother's, uh, an Iraqi Jew called Yaakov Karkukli, who had been in the Zionist underground. One member of his group, Yosef Basri, a very, very intelligent uh, Jewish lawyer, and his assistant, Shalom Saleh Shalom, were responsible for three out of the five bombs. Basri's controller was an Israeli intelligence officer named Max Binet, who was based in Tehran. So what he's telling you is that the Zionists bombed Jews to convince them that they were the target of Arabs and to drive them to Israel. I mean, that's one example. The, the history of the Lehigh Party and the Zionists doing this. And again, let's not forget, as Dan Cohen has pointed out, which, by the way, you can literally look up on Wikipedia. The Lehigh group, as they called themselves terrorists at the time, were the founda- one of the foundational parts of Zionism. And they twice tried to align with Nazi Germany, once with Stalin. Right. The point is, it's obviously a fascist concept, and that's what we're really beginning to understand for at most average people. So back to this the document recommends beginning a dedicated campaign that will motivate, manipulate Gazans, Palestinians to agree to this plan. Gazans should be convinced, it says, that Allah made sure that you lost this land because of the leadership of Hamas. There is no chance but to move to another place with the help of your Muslim brothers. Like this is about convincing them that their religion dictates this. You see the overlaps here? Further, the plan states that the government must launch a public relations campaign that will promote the transfer program to the Western states in a way that does not promote hostility to Israel or damage its reputation. Too late for that. The deportation of the population from Gaza must be presented as a necessary humanitarian measure. That's what I keep telling you they're doing right now to receive international support. They keep going, you know, so even though they're the ones bombing and they're the reason that they're being killed, they're acting like they're only bombing Hamas, right? So they keep going, Hamas is doing it. So what's the solution? Let's remove all of them out of the way. And then, I mean, think about how illogical that is, first of all, because how are you going to know that Hamas is not involved? And that's probably what will happen. They'll bomb them on the way and say Hamas was there. They're just bombing everybody. And that's according to literally every group's human rights groups, the United Nations, they're just indiscriminately bombing. So why wouldn't they do the same when they start moving? Unless they arguably you know, want that and they just let them go. But the point is the same, is that it's, there's no evidence to what's happening. And we'll get to the Amnesty International investigation that proves. Their own investigation proves in multiple... They've, they did five different location investigations and proved in each case 
oh, four of them, and I'll get to the one nuanced one, that there was no evidence at all, even in the cases that they can prove Israel knew there was no Hamas presence and bombed them anyway, killing lots of civilians. Verified via Amnesty International. As I already told you in the beginning, they also verified that they bombed people as they were leaving, going the way they told them to. It's in this report again. The point, though, if they can get the international community to feel or to wrap, to engage with the idea that this is the right thing to do to move them out of the way, well, this is a problem-reaction-solution situation. Such a, de- a deportation can be ju- could be justified if it will lead to, quote, fewer casualties among the civilian population. And that's what they're making the reality compared to the expected number of casualties if they remain. Well, if Israel just stops indiscriminately bombing, that wouldn't be a problem, would it? There's only one thing causing that right now. This document also states that the U.S. should be leveraged to pressure Egypt to take in the residents, what they're trying to do, and to encourage other European countries, and in particular Greece, Spain, and Canada, to help take in and settle the refugees who will be evacuated from Gaza. Finally, the document claims that if the population of Gaza remains, there will be many Arab deaths during the expected occupation of Gaza by the Israeli army, and this will damage Israel's international image even more than the deportation of the population. So maybe they're on that phase. Maybe they've gone to the extent of it, and they realized, well, we have to go all the way. For all the reasons, the recommendation of the Ministry of Intelligence is to promote the transfer of all Palestinians in Gaza to Sinai permanently. That's the West Bank, that's Gaza, that's everything. Well, in my opinion, like they say, I think it includes all Palestinians. But what's interesting, again, back to the point here, the argument of human shields, as we'll get into the amnesty discussion, is just not valid. And I don't mean that in the sense that, I mean, I also, as Robert's proven, the UN has investigated whether Hamas uses human shields and their investigation, yes, it was a while ago, came to the conclusion there was no evidence for it. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But that was at a time when Israel was screaming that was what was happening. And they do an investigation and they go, we don't find any evidence. So that has to at least undermine the claim, at the very least. And also we can prove Israel does that on a regular basis, by the way. But my point is, even if they are literally tying people to their arms or their bodies, that's it does not change international law. That's the key. That's what a lot of us keep saying. That they, they've made this argument that like are, that basically because human shields, therefore that there's no longer collective punishment. That's not true. There's not even any logic to that. It's literally because of that discussion that collective punishment exists. Because once you just start bombing everywhere, well, you're hurting them all alongside just to get at the bad guys. That's the literal definition of collective punishment. And that's why none of these groups are they're, they're saying you're wrong. The UN, human rights groups, they're now becoming very forceful with it, which I'm glad to see because we need to call this out. Now, Solomon, Solomon Ahmed points out the U.S. and Israel plans to displace Gazans into neighboring countries, ethnic cleansing. And we're talking about the same point, but he references a White House document. In the White House document, it explains pa- plans for Biden's $106 billion budget request. Well, we're just talking about this, right? Well, this is where it over. This is where we find that it's you know money for everybody everywhere apparently, and part of it, it appears to be earmarked for guess what? The exact thing that this plan is talking about. These resources would support displaced and conflict affected civilians, including Palestinian refugees in Gaza and the West Bank. Well, that implies they're no longer in Gaza or the West Bank, right? And to address potential needs of Gazans fleeing to neighboring countries. Well, I guess you could argue. I mean, right now there's UN refugees in Gaza, but. It's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point, actually. Do you call somebody a refugee if they're simply just not, if they're in this, for instance, you're in the United States, or let's just say even a state, you're in California, and you are removed from your home for whatever reason, and you move to the other side of the state, and you're, because you're forced to. 
Are you then a refugee if you're still in the same state? I would think so. I would think so. Not this unrelated. I just thought that was an interesting, I, I've always thought of it as something where you're outside of your state or your country. But in any case, refugee is a refugee, I guess, if you're just displaced from where you're supposed to be. The point is specifically for people that are fleeing the neighboring countries. Now, why would you include that? Could you just say refugees? I think it's because this is very obviously about what we just discussed. This crisis could well result in displacement across borders. Well, let's look right at the document. Thank you, Solomon, for pointing this out and Orwell for sharing it with me. Here's the document. Oh, and I wanted to show you this, actually. So this is the Executive Office of the President, October 20th. Now, what were we just talking about that was October 20th? I think I closed something. What was I just saying that was October 20th? Oh, that's right. That's money. That, yeah, we haven't talked about it yet. The actual investigation. Oh, really? Did they, did they lost the, damn it. I guess we'll just read the whole damn thing. Um, here is October 20th. That's what I was trying to remember. Not that you saw that yet, but so this was posted on the 20th. Interesting timing. Not that they're related, but here's what it says. Or, I mean, in general, they're talking about the overall plan for a lot of it. 69 pages. We're going to go to the last page in a second, but first, check this out. This is what I've always, this is just one document. I've said this so many times over the years. You know, of course, even then people called me racist, even though people are beginning to realize that I've never been talking about anything other than the Israeli government and their actions and the influence of that government. The point is that I've said many times over the years that you can look at any any given moment. You can, there's, you can, I forget what the actual link is, but you could look up like just any given moment, all the current and ongoing legislation in the U.S., right? It's a, it's a whole bunch, lots and lots and lots of them. And then you can search all of that for, let's say, the word Israel. And the last time I did that, I, I fell, almost fell out of my chair. I, it was it was t- just at a quick glance. It was like 50 percent or more at any given moment had mentioned Israel, whether it was about the most inane things. Why does that not alarm people that all, all of our legislation has to include? The, and that's not during wartime. It just in j- any moment. We, we talked about this before where there was something about or if, how about the one we talked about in Texas where there were people that were get, signing a, a, a contract to get aid which I don't know why you need to sign a contract anyway, but at the bottom it said that you refuse, that you claimed that you wouldn't boycott Israel. Remember that? That was in Texas during the hurricane. You're now, you're now inside the U.S. demanding that U.S. citizens sign that they won't boycott Israel to get aid from the government? Why, doesn't, why don't these things extremely worry people? So my point is, check this out. You search for Israel, just the 69-page document. 69 pages, the word Israel comes up 53 times. Do you realize this document is not just about Israel? It's about funding in general, but 53 times in a 69-page document, the word Israel is included. That's terrifying to me. Look at that. My God. Okay, so let's go to the end, which shows you that it's not just about Israel. Now it says, and this is under the Migration and Refugee Assistance, it says this request would provide $3.5 billion to the, to, that, to the MRA with the Department of State. Funding would provide life-saving humanitarian assistance to vulnerable and displaced people inside of Ukraine. So now we're so now there's Ukraine refugees inside of Ukraine that are displaced largely because of Ukrainian actions, and we're funding that. Why do Americans need to foot the bill for everything the U.S. government does around the world? I mean, this is the point. The argument is that they, they their actions somehow are the living embodiment of what we vote for. It's not true most, the vast majority of Americans don't want any of this. They don't care because they don't represent you. 
There are an estimated 16 million people in Ukraine and more than 6.3 million refugees in the region who rely on humanitarian assistance. So there, you know how much corruption takes place, just like with Gaza, when there's that much, quote-unquote, humanitarian assistance? You get CIA operations, you get gun running, you get human trafficking. It's horrifying. All this has been co- documented and proven over the years. The point is that that is ongoing. There's another 6.3 million refugee situation that's going to be stuck like that forever because they'll never give up just like they won't in Syria because they want to keep their agenda going to dispense the people on the ground. But the second one is most important. Funding would also provide life-saving humanitarian assistance to Israel. Life-saving humanitarian assistance? They're not talking about Gaza, guys. Like, they're talking, just understand, what they're talking about here is help is going to Israel, or in the event that people remove from the country, then they'll give them some help. That's what I read this as. Because understand, anything going in that they claim is going to Gaza is filtered through Israel and their control structure. That's why when people are screaming about they need hundreds of trucks a day just to help the people that need help, and they send in a hundred over the last week and go, we did it. We're helping everybody. It's a lie. And I'll show you that in a second. They're playing a game. Funding would also provide life-saving humanitarian assistance in Israel, occupied Palestine, and in areas impacted by the situation in Israel. These resources would support displaced and conflict-affected civilians. Exactly. So now your government is earmarking millions of dollars for people should they get displaced from this area. So now not only are the U.S. government whitewashing and going along with this genocide, they're now footing the bill for the very displacement of, for, for the decisive plan including Palestinian refugees in Gaza and the West Bank, and to address potential needs of Gazans fleeing to neighboring countries. See my point? That's very clear to me. This would include food and non-food items, health care, emergency shelter, and so on. So you're like building them up. First of all, Egypt doesn't want that. And I get it. Like, I mean, it's not just about whether they want to help people or not. It's about the fact that the moment they open this gate, Israel is going to use this against them. That's what that means. Very clear to me. And also, there's a very strong, well, that's the main point. This would also include potential critical humanitarian infrastructure cost needs for the refugee population to provide. Like, Well, why doesn't Israel do this? Why doesn't the U.S. do this now? Why does it have to be in somebody else's location? The point is that this is part of Israel's occupied area. So by law, they're required to take care of these people, not um, U.S. taxpayers. Even though, if given my own personal choice, I'm happy to help these people like this. I mean, just in a general sense. Like, I just, I'm, I'm allergic to any kind of functional like donating places like i don't i unless you are literally handing help to someone who needs it in my opinion you're not actually helping people there's so much corruption in all these things especially when it's things like the red cross and so on but that's just my opinion this crisis could well result in displacement across border and higher regional i mean this seems very obvious to me so this is where it's all going now here is dan cullen adding to his opinion or adding to the to the perception of this as he says Israel is turning Gaza from a concentration camp into an extermination camp. And anyone who tries to flee will be shot on sight by the snipers. Now, I think that's where we're at unless they see the opportunity to just remove all of them. But see, I think there's an interesting dynamic here. Even if it seems they wanted to remove all of them, there seems to be so much vitriol that people are just killing them anytime they can get a chance, including settlers. So it seems to kind of throw a stick in the spokes of the larger plan of removing all of them when you're shooting them in place. I have long described the Gaza Strip as a concentration camp for the surplus human population of Palestine that does not fit into the ideological racist construct of a Jewish state, which is not Jewish at all. However, 
mandates a greater uh, Jewish population than non-Jewish population. And uh, this concentration camp is now being turned into an extermination camp where um, entire neighborhoods are completely gone, where there's no, no and, and families are still inside asleep. I mean, the level of, of the scale of destruction and killing is maybe I don't know if we've seen anything like this mm-hmm. since maybe you could compare the U.S. bombing of Mosul in Iraq. But other right. than that, I think we have to look back to World War Two, the bombing of Dresden, uh, the firebombing of Dresden, the- which, by the way, Israeli officials have literally compared that to what they're doing in Gaza themselves, guys. They, they're very clear about what they want to do and what they're doing. It's just U.S. politicians and U.S. media or Western who are trying to frame it a different way. These kinds of things to understand the the uh, level of, of mass destruction that Israel is imposing on the Gaza Strip. And of course, the people have nowhere to flee to. If they try to escape from this concentration camp or extermination camp, they'll be shot on sight by Israeli snipers. And, and I think really his point there is just how this histor- historic situation has always been, not necessarily what might now be happening due to this displacement plan. The point is in history, and this is the point that I make about the Rafa crossing or anywhere else, right? The idea that we're pretending like somehow Hamas has control over these things is embarrassing. I mean, it, not, it shows a shocking lack of understanding of the reality of the situation on the ground, which is not surprising to me of most corporate media. But Dan Cohen is someone you should be following in this. Very there's great work on this. And don't miss the point that he said the state is not Jewish. Like he sees exactly, I think we're exactly in the same mind on that. This is a Zionist controlled state that is abusing that topic. Now, Jonathan Cook points a really fascinating point out here. He says, I set out Israel's game plan for genocide in Gaza. And now Facebook has banned his post and threatens to ban him for inciting violence. I mean, this is, this is the same kind of ridiculous dynamic you see when moms go up in front of a school board and start reading from a book that was given to their children and they stop them because it's too graphic. You're like, you're letting my child read this in school and calling me a bigot for telling it's a, but you're stopping me from reading it because it's too graphic. Yes. And they let it. And that's where it stops. <laughs> it's like, so, so you agree it's graphic. No, it's, it's just, it's, it's a contradiction. It's obvious. So here we are where they're allowing the most grotesque things we posted about what Israel does to Palestine, what they say about Palestine. But he literally just outlines what they're doing and they ban him for it. He says, so it's OK for Israel to commit genocide, in fact, to publicize it, but it's not OK for him to point out how they're doing it. Think about how wild that is. This is all he did. How to commit genocide in the dark in Gaza for four easy steps. How to stop foreign reporters from gaining access. Turn off the lights so no one can show the horror. Pick off local journalists one by one. Like, this is literally what's happening, guys. And not only do they threaten, they, they don't say like you're lying about Israel. That's not misinformation they're claiming. They're claiming he's inciting violence. I mean, you, it, you just can't make this stuff up. It's, it's ridiculous. And let's look at this really quickly before we go into the next part about the hostages. And this is the destruction of Gaza per Reuters. I want to go through this pretty quick and just show you some of the stuff. So here you're looking at sort of a, a, laid on its side picture of Gaza. As you can see in the main picture here, it actually goes up. It's showing how it's laid down right here. Okay. So this is Northern Gaza up here. That's where Gaza city is. And then, which for some reason it's, I I don't want to, it goes further, but you can't see it on the map unless I stretch out the screen, which will screw up the way my screen share looks, but it'll, it'll show you as it scrolls over. 
So as you scroll down, it starts to show you some stuff. It says, in two weeks since Hamas gunmen killed what they say is 1,400, even though now Israel seems to be saying 1,300, and the numbers seem to be at least up for debate. And we know that most of them appear to be IDF or police. And on top of that, there's just a lot of discrepancies around what actually happened, including the fact that we have their own testimony, including people that were released and people that were, got, that were involved with what happened and are now free, or that you know, they were in the concert that are survivors, that tell you that they were shot or their, their family or people they saw were shot by the IDF. Not my opinion, stated numerous times on the record, and it's amazing people can't acknowledge that. The point is, after that, Israel has responded with an intense bombardment that has killed at least 4,137 Palestinians and displaced more than a million. That's all a crime, no matter what you say happened before it. That's a crime. And even Reuters is citing the numbers that they seem to dispute now. Then it says Israel's bombardment is the most intense Gaza's ever seen. And it goes on to show you the different areas here. And you can take note of the names you might have seen to give you some placement here. Remember, this is the north at the, to the left of the screen. <clears throat> Remember, by the way, Bet Lahaya, or Lahaya, we're going to talk about that in a second, where, where uh, uh, the German tattoo artist was apparently taken to, they claim, taken to the hospital there. I'm going to make a point about that in a minute. Now it says, new analysis by data science consultancy analytics show the scale of destruction from Israel's campaign across Gaza. Now, anywhere you're seeing red is where they are bombing. Look at that. Are we pretending that every single one of these areas are Hamas? I mean, guys, just mathematically speaking, that's impossible because there are 2.5 million innocent people here. We have half of them are children and there's, there's Gaza people all over the place. People that support them as well. But if what you're looking at is impossible, they are bombing everywhere that's what i want people to see and it's in the south too and i'll show you that as it scrolls over the analysis based on satellite images taken after the attack estimates buildings damaged or destroyed since the bombardment began gaza is one of the most densely populated areas in the world with over 2 million people living in the area of just 365 kilometers square the heaviest of israel's bombardment has been focused on gaza city now it says gaza is home to 1.7 million refugees living in UN refugee camps, which they bombed routinely, which we'll get into the amnesty discussion, that provide essential public services, schooling, everything, and they attacked all of it. The Al-Shati and, and Jablia camps, which they bombed, have suffered casualties. Like, it's all very clearly proven. And extensive damage due to heavy airstrikes by Israel. That's not because of Hamas. These are UN locations. That's not even Israel's claiming these UN locations are controlled by Hamas. Now, for the first time ever, there's a clip I'm going to show you today. It was asked in, in, in the State Department where they literally brought it up and he avoids the whole point. I'll show you to you. But it, it's people are seeing this. Doctors have been scrambling to help a rising number of patients in overcrowded hospitals that are running short of medical supplies. He says hospital morgues and cemeteries have run out of space for bodies of the dead. So there's no denying what's going on. The Gaza Health Ministry spokesman on October 15th said that 44 health workers have been killed. 44. It's way worse than that. Every one of those are a crime. Here's the Al-Shia hospital, which Al-Shifa, excuse me, which they're now beginning to bomb or target around the area, full of housing dead bodies. Not, not obviously the whole hospital, I mean, but the, the picture you were looking at or for the podcast. Or it says religious sites, of course, in Gaza. Mosques, Orthodox churches have been damaged in airstrikes and, in fact, have been targeted more than once. That's according to Reuters, by the way. Then it says, 
Oh, and then just showing you that this is the images of a mosque, showing you that it's been destroyed, right? Satellite image of a destroyed Al-Gharib mosque, which, of course, they just, when they say mosque, people in the West might think terrorism. So they just, that's easy for them, even though that's very ignorant. These are just places of worship, which, by the way, are all protected. And by the way, including churches, which they bomb Christian churches in Gaza, which a lot of, again, ignorant people in the West don't even know there are churches in Gaza because they're blinded by propaganda. Drone footage captured by Reuters shows massive destruction in this mosque and the refugee camp because of Israeli strikes. Simple as that. In the early hours of the 13th, the military ordered over a million civilians living in the, in the north of Gaza to evacuate within 24 hours to the south. There are only two major roads connecting northern Gaza to the evacuation zone, and those who fled said many roads and streets were difficult to use and some impassable because of damage. That's, not, that's a point we haven't even gotten into. They're telling them to go this way, and they're blowing up those roads. And then we also know, as it even talks about here, that they've targeted those areas. They have bombed those areas as they tell them to flee. Now, let's get to the middle part where you can see it a little bit quickly. So right here. Okay, see, the, 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 or, the yellow line is the evacuation line zone. So anything to your right or to the south is where they were supposed to go, right? But as we scroll down, you're going to see the almost indiscriminate bombing, far less, mind you, but red spots all over the south. How do we explain that? Other than they bombed where they told them to go. Hamas leaders urged Palestinians to ignore, they said, but that's not what they did. I, I just get so sick and tired of even the, they said we should stay and fight for our, t our land. They didn't make them or they didn't, they didn't tell them to ignore basically. Well, I, I mean, look, I, I guess I shouldn't. The way they say that you could take it both ways. I believe what they're trying to in, in, in suggest there is that they're basically trying to say, stay urging them to, to not evacuate, I guess is fair. I'll walk that back. But I still think that ultimately what they're always trying to frame this as is they were forced to stay or they pressured them to stay, which I, look, I don't think is true. I think most of these Palestinians were making it clear they don't want to leave in the first place because they're tired of being pushed around and displaced over and over and beat up. And it's obvious what's happening, in my opinion. But it says, and the Gaza mosques broadcast the message, hold to your homes, hold to your land. That was the point. Some families who evacuated said they were unable to find safety because of continued bombing in southern Gaza. So they headed back to the north, right? I mean, that's one of the main points. Whether or not they were saying we need to stay and defend our land, they were bombing where they went. That's the real point that makes it all invalid anyway. Damage analysis indicates several instances of buildings damaged or destroyed south of the zone. Far more than several. Take a look. Look at all the red, look at all the dots, all the, or, all the red everywhere. Khan Yunus, everywhere, guys. It's very clear what's going on. And then even they point this out as I keep showing you. At least six people were killed in just one Israeli airstrike on a United Nations school in the Al-Maghazi refugee camp. Double war crime, apparently. Nobody cares about that. Certainly not the U.S. government. The United Nations says heavy bombardment has also hit Khan Yunus. You know, the place where Alan Dershowitz swore up and down you'd be safe. Every one of these red dots are huge areas that are being bombed. Every single one of them. Look, it's all over the place. Those who managed to comply with Israeli authority orders to evacuate are now trapped in the south of Gaza Strip with scant shelter, fast depleting food supplies, or little to no access to water. That's from the UN. So they told them, go up there, you'll be safe but they have nothing. There's no electricity. There's no water. They don't even have familiar territory. That's, I mean, that's disgusting. And they're not doing anything to help these people. 
The Rafa crossing between Gaza Strip and Egypt is the only exit, and they have bombed it repeatedly. Israel, uh, Egypt, it says, has been trying to channel hundreds of tons of humanitarian aid, but the aid has been piling up because e- Israel will not let it happen, and they bombed the crossing. But they're blaming everybody else for it. Matt Miller and Kirby will be, Hamas did it! Hamas is in the way! Even though we just proved to you yesterday that they then walked that back and were like, we don't know. Maybe they, maybe it's because they weren't there. That they weren't able to open the gates. I mean, they're just blatant. They are clumsily lying right now because they've lost control of this. It's just, it's obscene, guys, what's happening. Now, let's talk about the lies around this. And this gets bad. I mean, very bad. I mean, just in the sense that they're just like, so look, look, people like this guy who's an Israeli author. I mean, so he must know what they're actually saying, right? The world does because this story's gotten viral. And even just look the way she's yelling. Are we supposed to pretend that she's screaming to save me, Netanyahu? That's not what she's saying. But look at how he frames this. Hamas has released a video of three Israeli women pleading in dire conditions, which I don't know. That's, doesn't say, I mean, dire conditions in the sense that they're saying, you keep bombing us. You keep bombing everywhere we are. Are you trying to kill us? Literally what they said. But he says, and begging Netanyahu for their release. That's not what she's saying. And then even follows it up by saying this attempt by Hamas to instill psychological terror is only solidifying or determining. No, it's not. Most Israelis are feeling just like they are. These people are trying to continually cultivate this perception to hope they manipulate enough Israelis or Americans to go along with the massive genocide taking place. Let's find out what they actually said, huh? So recognize the kind of people that are willing to blatantly lie to you for their agenda, like a Ben Shapiro or an Alex Berenson, because they're lying for this, or plenty of others, Eli David, the rest of them have just lost their objectivity if they ever had it around this topic. Now here's the, there's, I have an actual written down breakdown of it, but let's, let me, I'll, I'll uh, well here, we have the video. I was going to read it to you. It's probably easier if I just read it, but you can just see it. <laughs> We know there was supposed to be a ceasefire. This is not something the Western media has gotten into. You were supposed to free us all. You had to free us all. And instead, we are traveling in your political, security, military, and diplomatic squadron. Because of this mess you made of the 7th in October, because there was no army there. No one arrived, no one listened to us. We innocent civilians, citizens who pay taxes to the state of Israel. Are in captive and terrible conditions. You are killing us. You want to kill us. You want to find a way to kill us all. That's very clear. Don't, don't you think it's sort of bearing the lead when you frame that as help us, Netanyahu? Like that complete lying journalist over there? Haven't you slaughtered enough of everyone? They're saying this to Netanyahu, guys. Of course, you could argue that this is being coerced by Hamas. I mean, we should consider that like with any video. But you see, the interesting thing is everybody on one side is going to say they're being coerced. 
But then when I say that's possible based on the Hamas member that they're showing you saying that they have the the hospital al-Shifa, well, that's their main area, they, they'll say, no way. There's no way. Well, of course, there's, if, if you're willing to consider this is coerced, then you should consider the other one is, just like I did. My point is, I don't know why we would ever take anything at face value when somebody is being in, basically when you argue somebody is being interrogated. Now, there's two things to add to that, which I'm applying that to this too. We, it's just as likely that Hamas is making them say this, but this does not appear, at least as we're looking to be an interrogation, but we don't know that. On the other side of it, it's literally a provable interrogation. They're in an interrogation room, they're being interrogated by the IDF, and they're even altering their voices. So that's quite a bit different than this, but it doesn't mean that's not what this is, just being objective. But the point is we also have other hostages who have already been released who are saying very similar things. So it's not really an opinion, guys. We have a lot of it, just like we say in every one of these situations. People will say what they want to say and believe what they want to believe, but we're being objective and the evidence slants in one very clear direction. But still would argue that we don't know for sure. Haven't enough Israelis been, been killed? Well, let's read this from uh, Sharmin Nawani. Let's read this breakdown. Translated, the Zionist prisoners who shouts and screams. It says, Benjamin Netanyahu, hello. We have been in Hamas captivity for 23 days. Yesterday, there was a press conference for the families of the prisoners, and we know that there was supposed to be a ceasefire, and you were supposed to release us. You should have released us. You promised to release us. However, we are suffering from your political security and military failure because of the disappointment you caused on October 7th, because no soldier was in place and no one came to us and no one defended us. And we are naive citizens, citizens who pay taxes to a state of Israel. And we now in captive under no, con- un- under no conditions, conditions, right? So this feels like a, it's always through somebody's lens, right? The main points that nobody denies are that they're saying you are killing us. You don't, you do want to, do you want to kill us? You want the army to kill us? Is, is it not? And they're talking about the Israeli bombing. It's not enough that you slaughtered everyone. It's not enough that you, that there were Israeli civilians killed. Release us now. Release their citizens and prisoners now. You mean, and they mean, you mean Palestinian prisoners. Release us and everyone. You deserve to get, we deserve to get back to our families now. And she's screaming at the end. <clears throat> now you could easily argue that the idea of releasing their prisoners was something that they told them to say. It makes perfect sense to me. The overall point, though, these are Israeli POWs, prisoners, hostages, telling us they feel that their bombing is putting their lives at risk, which obviously it is. I don't even know how we could debate that. And then you know what happened? You know what happened after they released this? Netanyahu rejects the idea after the captive video, right? Because who cares if the Israeli hostages feel they're going to be killed? We'll increase our bombing because we're not going to get pushed around. Who, what, by your own hostages? Like, the whole point is this is not, like I said yesterday, it's about winning. This is about not looking like you lost, right? And that's even what he literally says in the next video. It's about them winning at everyone's expense. You, Hamas, Palestinians, doesn't matter. Netanyahu rejects a ceasefire. Hamas releases the video of captives demanding a prisoner swap and criticizes the government for failing to protect the people. Israel calls it psychological propaganda and argues that they should increase the bombing is what's happening. It says, Iran, well, let's just listen to his video. I'm not really keen on Nar- Mario's framing of things. Just, this is just where the video came from. Here's what Netanyahu is saying. And I think this speaks volumes. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding the ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, 
or after the terrorist attack of 9-11. Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Okay, well, let's address that again, since they just can't stop. Calls for a ceasefire. Just can't stop saying the same points. They're conflating. First of all, it's an occupied territory, legally under the control of Israel. That's not like anything else we're talking about. This, the, what, he, if he, what he's saying, it, like, it would be the equivalent of what somebody made the other day, that the United States is bombing Florida because they're doing something they don't like. That would be the equivalent, right? And on top of that, we'll get into the part that the, an interesting point made by Freddie Pontone, and he's right, based on the actual documentation, there is no legal right to defense when you're ta- it's not another state, right? Are we going to argue that the United States has the right to defend itself against Florida? Like from a government perspective, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic. And you could even argue, yes, the point is the language makes it at least up for conversation. But what he's saying here, let's just take the first example, Pearl Harbor. So Jap- Japan, Japanese forces bomb Pearl Harbor, or, you know, let's, uh, just the narrative anyway. We, can un- we should all fully understand the full picture of this as we can now prove that our government was at the very least aware it was happening and chose to let it happen. The whole of the conversation there. All these false flags, guys. It's very, very, very easy to prove today. And more people than ever are willing to consider these things. But what he's conflating is the idea that instead of a ceasefire with the Japanese government, it would be like the U.S. was continuing to bomb a Japanese concentration camp inside the United States, which does exist because of what happened. And that they were relentlessly bombing a place they controlled, and, they, and the world was saying, ceasefire, stop murdering civilians. That's the same thing. Nobody is calling for them to stop going after Hamas. What they're saying is stop indiscriminately bombing civilians, which is what we all know is happening. Anybody with a brain can see what's happening. Or the next example, 9-11. So what are we, that's, that's actually more interesting because now we're talking about something that's not necessarily a state, right? Under the narrative anyway. Well, it's Al-Qaeda, right? Okay, same point. So let's say they continued to bomb, which, by the way, you could argue they bombed Iraq in the argument they were going after al-Qaeda, which is the same kind of idea. Then guess what people were screaming for? Stop bombing, stop invading, stop occupying Iraq. You're murdering everybody. You know why? Because they're doing the same damn thing. What happened? Did they they kill the bad guys? Well, no, they're still pointing at them all over the world. What they did is destroy Iraq, occupied Iraq, stole from Iraq. Isn't that what's happening here? It's very interesting. The bottom line is, people did call for ceasefires and all we're really talking about here is stopping you from bombing civilians hamas is not palestine but that's why they try to conflate this a calls for israel to surrender to hamas so he says a ceasefire a call for ceasefire or calls for if it, so that's all he sees it as we won't stop bombing which includes our own hostages because that would mean we lost he said it as plain as day so you're going to continue putting your own people at risk so you don't look like you've lost. These are weak, weak people. To surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism, that will not happen. Well, I mean, what, what, they're, what the actions Israel's committed over 75 years of occupation are barbaric. Some of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And some of the things the U.S. government's done around the world. Right. So what you're really talking about is surrendering your power over these people. And that is what you won't allow to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war, a war for our common future. Common future, huh? So are we speaking about the Jewish state? Are you speaking and you're speaking in English? Are you talking to the United States people? Are you talking about America? Well, I'm sure you love 
for the Christian population of the United States to perceive this as some kind of joint effort, because what he says next is the same thing that Trump and DeSantis and everybody else is pushing, that if we don't do this, Hamas will be everywhere. They'll be coming up for our southern border, and already they're doing things here and there. It's not true. They're now beginning to do what they've done in every other situation by conflating any of their adversaries as all the same thing and acting like now you see it's everywhere. They're here. They're there. They're at the southern border. They're in Iran. They're in to Yemen. They're, it's not true. Hamas is in Gaza in an open air prison from which they're not allowed to leave or not capable of leaving. Fish in a barrel. And they want you to think that this is an all encompassing effort. So everyone is on their side. Today, we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. Right. Good versus evil. Dehumanization. There's no, there's no occupation, right? There's no right to self-determination. There's no lives and children and futures and dreams. They don't exist. They're all just a bunch of mean terrorists. Simple as that, right? Assad likes to gas children. Anything else is conspiracy theory. But you see, these things don't work anymore. Your cartoon bombs and your fake pictures don't work anymore. And that's why they're desperate. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. Israel will stand against the forces of barbarism until victory. I hope and pray that civilized nations everywhere will back this fight. So what he means by that is if you don't back us, you're not civilized. That's so, I mean, these are weak tactics, guys. Like, almost like the weakest level of reverse psychology. And it's not, and they, they fall for it. Plenty of people do. But at the end of the day, the average person sees right through this right now. Because Israel's fight is your fight. Because if Hamas and Iran's axis of evil win... There it is. You will be their next target. Ah, I see. So it's Iran. And then by extension, that means Russia. That's all this is. It's not. And you know what that really is on top of everything else? It's because it's really embarrassing to be losing to a small group inside of a controlled prison that you're on top of. But if you frame it as Russia and Iran and an axis of evil that's a worldwide war, well, then it suddenly looks like that you're losing because they won't help you fight the bad guys. That's not what's happening. It's really embarrassing, the fact that they, I mean, it's, think about this. We said the other day, no arm, no air force, no, I mean, nothing. These are people fighting with very limited weaponry, with nothing, not even remotely what these other powers have, and they're still losing. That's why Israel's victory will be your victory. But make no mistake, regardless of who stands with Israel, Israel will fight until this battle is won. Yep. We could talk about the Samson option. We could talk about a lot of stated policy that this is about win at all costs or else. Right. For those that don't understand that the topic of the Samson option, that would mean that at the event that Israel sees itself being about to be destroyed, that they would execute a nuclear explosion. You look this stuff up. And Israel will prevail. May God bless Israel and may God bless all those who stand with Israel. Ah, yeah. Right. See, it's not God bless everyone, the freedom and, you know, all of our allies. No, just Israel and people that support us. That's it. Look at that face, man. I mean, I'm just, you, you, this is not, this is in my, we're talking about an objective reality here. What these people have been capable of. And the, the reason I make this so clear is because even their own population are calling him out to such a degree that I've never seen before. People despise this man in Israel. As far as I can tell, the vast majority, including most of the government. And, and yet he is standing here acting like everyone's on his side because the government allows that to be the case. Now, as they're sitting here telling you, right, that the ceasefire, rejecting this, the captives, we won't, you know why they're so upset? Because it's pretty much public knowledge right now, as I showed you just the other day, that they refused a, a, a hostage exchange, refused. 
It says right here, Hamas was proposing to release, oh, this is the Washington Post, all foreign civilian hostages first in exchange for a five-day ceasefire. That was the first offer. We'll give you all the non-Israeli hostages if you agree to a ceasefire. No, not, gonna, they, not happening. So if you're British, if you're U.S., if you're anybody around the world that didn't get your hostages back, or rather, you know, I'm only using the term because that's what it's being written as. I don't think hostage is the correct term here because if there's not demands being made, not yet. And, not, and even then, if it's in a wartime situation, it's more of a POW. But either way, the point is they didn't do that, right? They said no. Israeli civilian hostages would also be released if additional demands were met, he said, including the release of Palestinian women and children in Israeli prisons and the opening of the border crossing so wounded civilians could receive care. Okay, well, those are being demanded by international law. So all they're really saying is stop violating the law, right? Let, let the women and children back. And what they're saying is we'll release all civilian hostages. Isn't that what Israel's calling for? Yes, they keep pretending like that's what they want. And that's what we're talking about, the women you saw in those videos. And they're saying, no, we're not going, even though they're pretending they want people to cross that border and they're blaming Hamas for doing it, they won't, they said, they literally recorded that, no, we won't do that. Then it says, we are ready to let them all leave. The United Nations could distribute the aid, including fuel for hospitals. So that you could, so they can make sure no supplies reach Hamas. So they even did that. They even said UN could be the mediator and dole out the stuff they need. So that way you can be sure that we don't get any of it. Does this sound like a group that's trying to manipulate the situation? I mean, my God, this seems very clear to me. We'll give you your people back if you simply give our civilians things that help them from, to stop them from dying tomorrow. Or, and, and open the crossing like you keep pretending you want to. And again, they refused, guys. The Washington Post covered this. So are we supposed to pretend they care about these civilians? It seems very clear to me that this is something that they, every time these civilians get killed by their bombing, they're telling you Hamas did it. Remember that. Iranian foreign minister said that he would, that, same point in re regard to what I believe is their foreign people, right? Or their, their you know, the overlap too, because apparently there's people from all over the world. British Palestinians, American Palestinians, and they're saying, look, they, it's ready to release non-military prisoners to us. The world should just release the 6,000 Palestinians in Israeli jails. So they have 5,000 from before, another 1,200 they took since this happened. So they're screaming about 200 plus civilians, or rather, it seems like most of them aren't civilians, but people that they took. Yet Israel has already taken 1,200 in the same way. And why is it still only about the one side then? Can we not recognize that you did the same thing in reverse, which at the very least makes you just as grotesque as you're saying they are? Just because you feel like you, they did it first, that it's justified? Well, you took exponentially more. I mean, just, it's, it's just staggering how obvious this conversation is. Now, here's what Israel puts out. A total of 108 trucks of humanitarian aid have entered Gaza in the past eight days. That's it. Just... Pat yourself on the back. You know what the point is? This is what people that are pro Israel are going to share. See, they're lying. Hamas is taking it all. Well, that's ignorant people that don't understand. That's like a that's a fraction of a fraction of what's needed in general. Like, I mean, you break that down. You sent in 108 trucks a day. That's still not enough. And that's not because they need it's it's be they need it because of the way Israel has created the situation. Now, my point was that's just a fraction of what's needed. And you refuse to allow any fuel, apparently now indefinitely. So you guys understand that they said forever. Now we're never going to let fuel back in that, which shows you they're trying to get rid of these people, which is what's needed more, 
to make all of the other aid effective and what's needed to cook food, heating, hospitals, etc. What this amounts to is them killing and acting like the savior. As you know, often, I think that's the worst of the worst. Now here, let's get into some of these ridiculous concepts. This is a real thing, by the way. I, I had to make sure this wasn't fake. <laughs> I mean, here, here's an image from CNN. Okay, so he, this is the UN ambassador for Israel. Listen, listen to what he says here. As, as uh, Wyatt Reed frames it as beyond parody. Look at this grandmother being forced to hold a Hamas terrorist rifle as he takes a picture with her. This is inhumane. <laughs> I mean, so you know what this begins to show me? That they don't have much to choose from. Right? So you're, you're okay. So you have an image of Hamas rocking a cradle and, and bobbing a young child. And sure, you can say, oh, they're holding these back. But I don't know when that video was taken. I don't know if that was a video they took while they were in Israel or they took afterward. Because from what I can tell, it doesn't seem that we can prove that there's even child hostages at this point. But overall, you have a lot of videos of people that seem like they're they helping old women. And the ones that have come out have said they treated me kindly. And so what it begins to show you is that they're, they have nothing to go on. And trying to make those things into bad things, which seems to suggest they're not doing bad stuff. I don't know for sure. But here's a, an image he's showing you. He's disgusted by. You have a smiling elderly woman holding up a peace sign. I mean, it just, it just is like, it's beyond parody. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And again, I thought like somebody must have made this up. I, I thought maybe they put in a different image and it was something more grotesque. Sure enough, literally on CNN. And look at how this guy frames it. Chair of Urban Warfare Studies. UN Security Council holds emergency session on attacks on Israel. Which, oh, you know what's what's funny? I actually thought this was newer. It looks like he just only saw this on the 30th, but apparently this was posted back on the 8th. And it's just, which again, it doesn't surprise me. Israel's ambassador calls it Israel's 9-11 and wants the UN to condemn Hamas's actions as war crimes. I doubt the UN will, but absolutely should. And, and you're, you're saying that based on this benign picture. I mean, it just seems ridiculous to me, guys. But let's get in. Oh, I, well, actually, I actually forgot two more points before we get into some other important stuff. But Lord Bebo points this out, showing you that this, this person, while he's speaking at the United... The, the, the Western media wants you to see this as everybody's on their side and everybody agrees. But here's an example that shows at the very least, that suggests at the very least that's not true. Comparing the applause for the Palestinian leader and the Israeli rather ambassador, the Palestinian ambassador and the Israeli ambassador after they're done speaking. It's pretty striking. And for the record, it's a split screen on the left is once one video on the right is another, right? So the Palestinian ambassador gets done, says, thank you. And they respond and the same thing on the right. They thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. You can hear a damn pin drop. How do we not recognize that? I now give the floor. Guys, nobody there. Like, that's, and that's the exact same circumstance. You talk about your, you, you give your speech or your rhetoric, and you said thank you. Everybody clapped for the Palestinian representative. Nope, not, nobody even, not, again, you could literally hear a pin drop. They know they've lost control of this. People see what they really are, the Zionist government even at the UN. Well, most likely because they're bombing UN locations and they all know that. 
And then we have a clip down here from uh, Aaron Mate, which talks about the compare. And this is actually really good. Well, well done comparing Kirby and what I argue is this completely obviously fake cry compared to basically Russia versus right now. I mean, it's just embarrassing ways. Pe these people are such obvious liars. Oh, wait, that's not the right one. Did I forget to download that? Maybe I did. Hold on one sec. That's strange. Hold on. Let me grab it real quick. So all, again, all this is, is basically him during the Russian Ukraine conversation, acting like every single thing, you know, every, everything I've seen and it's all terrible. And then just asking like when it's now, Oh, well that's war for you. That's war. It happens. It's bad. Just blatantly different. is war it is combat it is bloody it is ugly and it's going to be messy and innocent civilians are going to be hurt going forward i wish i could tell you something different i wish that that wasn't going to happen uh but it is it is going to happen and uh, that doesn't make it right it doesn't make it uh dismissible it doesn't mean that we aren't going to still express concerns about that and and do everything we can to help the israelis do everything they can to minimize it uh, but, uh, but that's, that's unfortunately the, the nature of conflict. So that's John Kirby declaring that, yes, yeah, sorry, Gaza Palestinians, but you're going to have to die. In fact, a lot more of you are going to have to die. Well, compare that to how John, John Kirby has talked about Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, it's hard to look at what he's doing in Ukraine, what his forces are doing in Ukraine and think that any, um, uh, ethical, moral individual could justify that. It's difficult to look at the... Sorry. It's difficult to look at some of the images and imagine that any well-thinking, serious, mature leader would do that. <clears throat> so I can't talk to his psychology, but uh, I think we can all speak to his depravity. Okay, so that's John Kirby fighting off tears, apparently, as he talks about Russia's depravity in Ukraine, but previously, we saw him talk about Israeli depra depravity inside Gaza, and he's saying that's the way it is, and it's going to have to continue. And in fact, already, in just a few weeks, Israel has killed more children in Gaza than Russia has in nearly two years of war inside of Ukraine. So I don't understand why John Kirby can't find his tears when talking about Gaza. He because can, he's though, wasted them, Aaron. He's, you see, he's wasted them already. On right. he's, he's all tapped out. He's cried so much. Eh, not a fan of her. <laughs> but Aaron Mate makes some great points. You know, the, the idea here, it just doesn't... It, my point I made before about Kirby... The guy is in the military. Are we really going to pretend that your your mere thought of graphic images of of what you claim Russia was responsible for, even though most of this been shown to be lies, is going to make you choke up? But the grotesque amount of I mean, I've never seen more imagery coming out of a war than I've seen right now in Gaza. And you're somehow you're just kind of oh, that's war for you. Well, the next question. 
right? Either he's lying on one side of this or he's a terrible person on the other. I mean, I think, who knows? You can decide for yourself, but I don't buy that for a second. But it just shows you inconsistency, and it's it's really just about managing the narrative. Now, after all of that, after his own prisoners speak up and say, "You're trying to kill us," are you? Are you trying to kill us with your indiscriminate bombing? Are you? Are you you're. Are you, and are, you know, you're, we know you're responsible for October seventh. Outrage after Netanyahu blames his own security military chiefs over the October seventh failures. Right, many of these people have already stepped up and said they were part, they're at fault. But Netanyahu has continued to point at anybody else. He's a weak person. I think people are beginning to see this. And I think around the world, his own people and people that support him are going, come on, this is obvious. You, what happened is either allowed to happen or one of the most obvious failures that we've ever seen. And you're, this is what the point they make about leaders, guys. It doesn't matter whether you made the choice or not or that your actions led to this or not. If you're the leader... An actual leader, you take responsibility for everything that happens under your tenure, under your control, because that's what real leaders do. He's a ruler. That's what he is. Leaders do not act like this, but everyone else's fault, right? And people are angry about this. Now, Hussein, uh, uh, or Sam Husseini put out a good article. This was t- yesterday. Multiple reports, just to reiterate this point, you can read this. We've talked about most of these already. Multiple reports are showing that Hamas and many of others, many others, including I think it was uh, I'm blanking on which country it was. Was it Germany or was it Jordan? I forget. Other countries also reached out and warned Israel. I think it was three days before we see something coming. Something's about to happen. And that was based on this. Hamas, long before this, had been telling them, if you don't release the 5000 people, we're going to do something that repeatedly. And which then caused other security forces and other people in the military, other countries to go, hey, we see this building and nothing was done. In fact, it's almost like they did. This is why I keep pointing out that there's there's a middle ground possibility here, other than it was entirely them or entirely not. There was something that they thought they were taking advantage of, not thinking it would amount to this grand of an effort, maybe thinking they would just send a few people in and they would be able to kill them. And then they could say, hey, we stopped them which then got out of control. I don't know. But what I do think is there was something that was allowed. They saw it coming. They, they, nobody, 15 different checkpoints. Now I'll get into this weird overlap with the security blockade on the road after the concert again in a minute, which I think is very important. Anyway, the point is Operation Oscar Flood is a strategic track to respond to continued Israeli crimes. That's per Hamas. And the point is that they've repeatedly been saying that we're going to do something about it. It's a good quick breakdown. You can watch this for yourself that goes over the points. Here, it's just from the Times of Israel. Surveillance soldiers. Surveillance soldiers warned of Hamas activity on Gaza border for months. Months. This came out four days ago. See, my point is, guys, the Israeli media is on this, and nobody in the West is talking about this because they're cowards. I mean, like the government, the media, the corporate media. Surveillance. People in their own military were going, guys, something's coming. They're going to do something. And yet they weren't there. We all seem, we all must know by now that something happened here. I don't know exactly what it was, but there's even with even Israeli citizens calling them out for saying they were involved or allowed to happen. And the fact that we've proven now that we know for sure that they were Hamas was created by Israel, according to their own people, as Cohen said on the wall with the Wall Street Journal or examples of other proof of them arming and funding them. I mean, the last one, we just saw one recently that admitted that they were, in fact, giving them arms. That was for, per Israeli media. 
for those that are shaking your head, that can't be true. We already we went over this directly from their own documentation, and I think even the one of the last two shows. But this gets even more interesting. This is the director of the Electric Intifada saying, what's his real hiding about October 7th? That's a, the reason he's asking that. Check this out. The Physicians for Humanitarian Israel says, yesterday, we urged the health and religion ministers to prevent the burial of any unidentified bodies and remains collected from 710. Weirdly feels like the Lahaina conversation, right? Why in the world would, especially from a supposedly religious, theocratic, you know, Jewish state where burial rites are very important, would you bury unidentified bodies? Well, the obvious answer is right there that we all seem to think about, but maybe don't want to say out loud that they're trying to cover something up. I'm not saying I know that, but that would be an obvious possibility based on why they would be burying unidentified bodies. Aren't they the ones telling us they're going to every length to find out who these people are? Look, my point would be, it's been three plus weeks. They would have found out by now. Attack until receiving approval from the Institute of Forensic Medicine, or excuse me, the 710 attack. They basically asking him, hold off until you receive approval from the Institute of Forensic Medicine. Now, this demand follows growing concern from the families of the hostages themselves. See, my point, guys, is we're being, we're being, it's all being framed like they're acting in the interest of the people that they're fighting for. Those are the people calling out Netanyahu. Remember, right in the beginning, families of the hostages or the captives that were still being held were protesting Netanyahu, the, like in front of the ministry going, you did this. You're just never going to hear this from Fox and CNN. It's just, I mean, God, man, that, that coverage is embarrassing today. I, I mean, that's just cartoonish, but it's nothing new to me. But it's just one of the worst times I've seen the way that Fox and CNN are framing this is just ridiculous. But. The demand is following concern from those families of the, of the captives and the missing persons that burials are being hastened for religious reasons without exhausting all identification measures. Well, I mean, so it's interesting as you could argue that there's, I mean, so I don't even, I don't know how that makes sense. Why would it be hastened for religious reasons? Now, I understand that there's a time frame, especially for, for Judaism, but aren't you supposed to know who they are first? Like, how can you go through burial rites without knowing who the bodies are? Like, just that, that completely doesn't make sense to me. Because I understand, and I think in most religions, there's usually a time frame. When you're supposed to bury, how long you're supposed to wait, right? So that's what they're talking about. But ultimately, if you don't know what body is whose, how do you pretend you can do that? It says, we therefore demanded all bodies be sent to the Institute for, to complete the ID process. Of course they should. The Institute ex experts must make all burial decisions to ensure measures are recorded and stored. You know why I think they don't want this to happen? Because the evidence will reveal hellfire missiles, tank shells, guns that were fired by IDF members that killed some, if not most, of these people. That's the Hannibal Directive conversation that now, again, to reiterate, for those that are freaked out by that statement, have been proven by people that were there. To local radio, to local corporate media, even the, even the helicopter pilots were on the record saying they were firing at people that could have been hostages. They said that on the record, guys. That simple. We were not in, and uh, you know what I should grab? Uh, I can't remember the name of the title off the top of my head. Let me do this real quick. Hold on. Oh, you know what? I'll just do this. I'll include the show from yesterday. I'm, oh, you know what? I already had it tagged in the beginning. I already have it in the beginning. So the show from yesterday is tagged in the beginning. And it, that's why I go over this exact topic and cite the grades of an article and the cradle article. But it says, we were told in response after they said this, after they said, we should identify everybody before we just bury a bunch of bodies in an unmarked grave. That doesn't seem very religious. 
But it says, we were told in response, there'd be no burials before exhausting all ID measures and receiving professional approval. Yet, they didn't specify who these professionals are and whether it's the Forensic Institute or if the process would include the families. So, see, this is just a political answer. If there's anything in the last few weeks that taught us, it's not to rely on such statements. <laughs> exactly. And these are physicians for human rights, Israel. They don't trust their government, guys, and they're damn right not to. We will continue pushing for the demands on behalf of families and hostages of missing persons. Very interesting. So Lord Brebo points out something else. And let's get, there's a couple more contradictions I want to get into before we talk about the, the tattoo artist. <clears throat> this one's interesting. So Lord Bebo points out, see, I know I'm following this guy. Twitter's all over the place. But it says, the IDF says she was released. But Netanyahu, this is a different one of the hostages, one of the captives, saying, last night our forces freed the female soldier, Private Uri Magadish. So he's, of course, stepping up and going, we did it. IDF did it. We're successful. Support me because I made this happen. I congratulate Shin Bet and the IDF for this important achievement. Well, What's interesting is, here's the IDF. This is the person talking about. They say she's home. She was abducted on the 7th. Tonight, she was released. Released. Netanyahu says, this is that tweet, forces freed them. Where it was kidnapped on the back of October 7th. I congratulate them for rescuing and freeing her. The point is, if you listen to him talking, he's clearly trying to make it sound like the IDF rescued them and took them out in their ground incursions, which continue to fail, by the way. But it seems clearly the reality was that they were another hostage that was released. Now, the more you dig through this, I think there's one right here I was going to point at. Maybe it's changed by now after it refreshed. But the bottom line is there's reporting coming from corporate media that's completely contradictory, where it's apparently it turns out that she was just alone, like they just came across her in this massive area and they just took her back which is being reported by corporate media, but it's like that then suggests very clearly she was released and not rescued, right? I mean, it's just there's so much about this. And my point is simply that it's not even about truth. It's just about whatever narrative they want to set. And they'll jump up and say whatever they want to say because Western audiences will lap it up without thinking, it seems. Well, in the same point here, and two more things, in fact, we're going to get into. Here is the Israeli president who just blatantly lied about a apparent chemical weapon lie. Let me see if that pops right up. There we go. This one's just silly, man. Immediately people came out and revealed that this image was from a book cover. He's literally saying in this, in this interview that this is not just a prop. This is the thing. It's like from some like 1995 windows, 95 printout with some lamination. It's really pathetic. And it's written in English. They're telling you this is Al-Qaeda issue, chemical weapons, that they carried into a raid. Like, it just makes, it's, it's painfully stupid. And that many people argued from even inside information that this was because they were setting up the narrative once they do go in to gas the tunnels and claim that that was Hamas that did it. Seems like right up their, right up their alley. But here he is again, saying, these barbaric, sadistic animals chopped her head off. The German tattoo artist. Interesting. See, I swear. I must have been rushing. <laughs> I swear I had this video. I don't think we, we know it's... Ah, we'll play it real quick so you can hear what he says. So what he's talking about is the woman, remember, that that was supposedly uh, taken to a hospital per her mother on Newsweek after everybody said that she was dead. 
So I want, remember that point, because the fact that they said she was dead is now being sort of whitewashed away, and they're starting from the middle point, where they go, first we said she was alive, and now she's dead. It's just, I don't know why they're so easy to, like, you could lie without, uh, you know, it's just so embarrassing how bad they are lying, let's put it that way. But here, oh, son of a gun. Hold on now. <laughs> Apologies. Give me one second. I don't know what's going on right now. God, man. I don't even want to tell you. Here's the video. Uh, now, only now we got the note that Shani, Nicole, Luke, who was already interviewed by her family, was interviewed, her mother was interviewed by German newsreels, uh, has been uh, confirmed as murdered and dead. They found... Here's what's so deceiving about what he already just said. The reason she is saying that is because Israel told her that. But yet now he's using her statement to act like that's confirmed it to them. Like, it's just clumsy. That's It's just about trying to make you think the narrative. Now, I'll go into my thoughts in a second. Skull, which means the, um, the, uh, these barbaric, sadistic uh, oh, animals. Said, so he said they found her skull. They found skull other than dead. They found her skull, which means the, um, the, uh, these barbaric, sadistic uh, animals simply chopped off her head when they were attacking and torturing and killing Israelis. It's a huge tragedy, and uh, I send uh, a lot of condolences to the bereaved, her bereaved family. She was a beautiful 23-year-old who went to a... Um, Music festival, nature festival in uh, in Reim, right? Right. The festival where it seems we can prove that there were hot, there were Israelis shot by IDF members, according to people who were there, on the record with Israeli media, very clearly covered in the last show we did. So all I'm pointing out there is that it's at least possible that she was shot by IDF, and that was later dealt with, handled, you know, they took her to the hospital, whatever. But I'm not, we don't know. The point is we don't know. But what he said right there is already provably a lie for two reasons talking about uh, the, the head chopped off and finding the skull and the body and so on. So getting into this in general. Oh, oh first of all, of course, here is the uh, chancellor of, of, of the federal of Germany. The news of Shani Luke's death is terrible. So, he, so here's where we are. Israel says this and people respond. Just like I said about the hospital argument, which we, I think, can prove. Which Actually, again, I forgot we have a clip. We'll prove to you again. Per multiple surgeons from outside of the area who've come in to help, who can prove to you. They said that they've worked there for years. They say there is no Hamas presence. And this, the, the argument, they, oh, they're being held and threatened by Hamas. No, they're not there, guys. They're in other countries that work there and go back and forth. And they're saying that they can prove to you that the Al-Shifa hospital is not controlled by Hamas. It doesn't matter, though. My point is that people like this, because of whatever reasoning, Israel says it or the U.S. says it, and they just go, proof, like we just showed you the other day. Now confirmed. No, Israel's saying it does not make it confirmed, but that's what they would want you to think. But he says the news is terrible. Like many others, she was brutally murdered. This shows the full barbarity behind Hamas' attack. Does it, what, it doesn't show anything. Israel's words indicate a possibility. Even though they've been, they've been caught lying, we can't wrap our mind around the possibility that, what, look, let's just say she is actually dead. The narrative around how she died, why do we take this stuff at face value? It says, this is terror and Israel has, to have the, has the right to defend it. So why does that important? 
to art. It's because you're using this terrible thing to say the right. So what you mean by the right to defend yourself is we're going to do those terrible things to those people there next. And that's the right to defend yourself. Otherwise, how does that sentence make sense? This is terror and Israel's right to defend itself. So, so you're going to do it back is the point. Yes. And we're watching that happen. But the real question is what really happened to begin with? Now, Peter Sweden, of course, another person that was doing great work in COVID that clearly has a blind spot for Israel. Remember, Shawnee, who was kidnapped and paraded naked on a pickup truck in Gaza. Again, who we don't know who was driving those trucks, who the people were in the back of the trucks, who was filming those trucks. We don't know anything. The assumption is it was all Hamas, even though they weren't dressed as Hamas. Why is that? I just, I mean, I'm not saying I, I, my, I would argue it most likely was at least Palestinians or people that were there, but I don't know who they worked for. I don't know. We, and again, we know Hamas has factions that are loyal to Israel and the United States. All I'm saying that for is to show you that there is not a certainty here. The likely situation is that Hamas members did terrible things. Whether or not you think that represents the larger Hamas entity, it's a different conversation, but people that if they did that, they should be held legally accountable. I've said that from day one. But I also have the objectivity enough to recognize that just because emotion, I don't lose my objectivity and say this happened when I know I can't prove that. But now he goes on to prove that he is, again, lacking objectivity with Israel because they say something and he goes, they just found her body. Hamas beheaded her. Never forget. Have you seen that, Sweden? Peter Sweden, have you, have you seen evidence of that? Have you seen video? Have you seen anything other than they saying it? No. So remember that, guys. At the very least, remember when people have a blind spot for a certain topic. Now, Perdesi points out, no media is covering this story. Why are you claiming this? It's a good question. Her parents have not yet seen the body. Yet the, the skull was, this, yes, she, this, see, this person goes on to say, yes, the skull was found and they're still testing. That's not even accurate. Let me show you what I mean. So the first part's correct. They have not seen her body. They have not found a skull. None of this has been confirmed. Here is the Guardian. For the first version, before they changed the article, family of Shoni Luke, who was caught up in Hamas rampage, confirmed she is dead. Well, no, they, this is just as confirmed as the first time. They're, they were told by Israel, and they're saying that's what Israel told me, and that gets turned into confirmed she's dead. I'm not saying she's not. All I'm saying is it's just as unconfirmed as the first time. Remember the first time they said she's dead, and we said, well, we don't know. Then they came out and said, oh, it turns out she's alive. And we said, see, we don't know. Now they're going, she's dead. And I'm saying, we still don't know. <laughs> It's funny how I get framed as wishy-washy when I'm simply maintaining the same narrative or the same lack of, un of proof to the claim. The young German woman was initially believed to have been kidnapped in the attack. They changed this, interestingly enough, to kidnapped alive. Well, that's not even true. She was initially believed to be killed. That's what every corporate media platform said. She's killed. That one was raped. Just narrating what they see in these videos without anything to prove them. That's what media does in corporate media. But now they've weirdly changed it because this is the current version. So why would they post this and then remove and not alive, but then updated it later with the wrong information? Because these are propaganda outlets. She wasn't, they, she was believed to have been killed. Then the narrative was put out that they, she was told she was alive and Newsweek claimed that was confirmed. That's right here. Shawnee, look, it's still alive. Mother reveals, right? And we, it says right here, on Tuesday, and also don't forget, Luke's family announced they had proof, according to Newsweek, that Luke, who grew up in Israel, which I think is important, was alive. Only important in the sense that if she grew up in Israel, it's possible that she's an IDF member. I've never been able to confirm this. She is an Israeli citizen, right? So 
I don't, and I, I proved that right in the beginning. She's a, it's a dual German Israeli citizen. So she very well could be an IDF member, which by has horrific. Well, first of all, I don't truly know what ultimately happened. So the fact that she might be dead is sad regardless, but I'm not going to pretend that whatever they claim happened to her is the truth until I know I can prove that. But nonetheless, the point is if bad things happen to her, it doesn't justify that just because she's an IDF member, but it would in fact make her a legal military target. Now I don't, and my point is we need to find out, but they claimed she was alive and that she was in a hospital in Gaza with serious head injuries. Okay. So hypothetically, could it not be that she was running from what was going on and ran right into an IDF blockade that fired on them just like they fired on other people that we were told and shot her in the head? And for whatever reason, these people picked her up and took her to a hospital. That's the first part of the story. And then what if that hospital she was in got bombed? And then what if she's now dead because of that? And now this is the story we're being told. That's certainly a possibility. I'm not saying I know that for sure, but it's something we shouldn't deny as a possibility. So back to the article. It says, Shawnee Luke, age 22, was initially believed to have been kidnapped alive. Now, again, that's not true. Everybody reported that she was dead. I mean, literally every platform was like, there's a dead woman on the back of that car. During Hamas's assault on the music festival, after she was paraded semi-naked through Gaza. And again, I'm not, there's people, I saw a picture of a guy spitting on her in the back of the truck. I mean, I'm not going to justify the actions of every individual, but I don't know what the full context was, and neither, neither do they. Apparently unconscious in the back of the pickup truck. On Monday, however, Luke's sister, Adi, confirmed that Shawnee had died. Probably during the attack, after the discovery of human remains that suggested injuries that would not have been survivable. Again, we'll show you this comes directly from the claims, the entire thing from the Israeli government. And they're now misrepresenting even what actually was claimed. Quote, it is with great sadness that we announced the death of my sister. This was said on who was on who was who uh, excuse me, who was on October 7, 2023 at the party uh, and on Instagram. In a post on Twitter, the Israeli foreign minister said Luke had experienced unfathomable horrors. I again. How could he know that? That's an assumption at best. Sure, I, there's information they might be able to tell you, but they've already lied about a lot of this stuff. My point is that's what they would say regardless of what happened, and we know that by now. Luke was seen in footage shared on the day of the attack, lying motionless in the back of the vehicle after being seized and brought into Gaza. Initially, Luke's mother, Ricarda, said she believed her daughter was alive. Well, again, that's not believe. That is, Newsweek said they had proof that she was in a hospital. Now, of course, Newsweek could be wrong. I'm not trusting corporate media lie all the time. But interesting discrepancy. Saying that she was being held in a hospital in Gaza. But informed German television on Sunday that her daughter was no longer alive. Now, it says, according to reports in the German and Israeli media, a cousin of Luke said that the family received an official notice from the IDF. And the voluntary emergency response organization, Zaka, that a bone from the base of her skull had been found. Not her skull, but a bone from the base of her skull that matched Luke's DNA, which I guess they had on file, which doesn't make much sense to me unless she was an IDF member, so we'll leave that there. But the point here is that, interestingly, even that's not true. Not entirely. I'll sh- follow along, you'll see what I mean. So now we've gone from a skull to a piece of bone that would suggest that she can't be alive because that piece of bone, if not there, would mean she's dead. Okay, that's the logic they're telling them. Doctors determined that a person cannot live without the found bone. I jumped ahead. Excuse me. That's where it says that. Doctors determined that 
a person cannot live without that piece of bone and concluded that because it wasn't in her head, assuming it was hers, that could not, she couldn't possibly still be alive. Okay, so we have no real confirmation she's dead. We have a piece of something found and we're told they tested and said it was hers. And then assuming even further that because of what it was that she couldn't be alive without it. There's a hell of a lot of assumption there coming from people that have lied about a lot of stuff and possible inconsistencies or mistakes. The determination of the death was conducted by the Israeli National Institute of Forensic Medicine. And it says two weeks ago, German, and we're not done. Two weeks ago, Germany's Der Spiegel reported that the German partner of, her, of Luke's aunt had been told she was alive, being treated for injuries at a hospital in Gaza's Bet Lahaya in the north, where they're bombing the most. At least 260 people were killed among the festival tents in the fields and the roads surrounding it on October 7th. It took hours, they say, for security forces to reach festival goers who were hiding or trying to flee. But guys, we know that's not true. Remember the whole point? Even the breakdown from CNN's own video where we got that from, where they said they were fleeing on foot, right as they they started fleeing, right? And they ran across that field because there was other three angles were blocked off, which seems very, very directed. And they ran right head on into what? Do you remember? A, A Israeli checkpoint, a block of either IDF or police. So clearly that's not hours later if they're still in mid-run from what's going on and they run right into a blockade. Okay, how is it possible that they have a blockade set up that quickly for what something is just developing while we have 15 checkpoints with nobody there? That does not make sense. And now they're reporting it took even hours for them? Okay, well, that's probably because the reporting is now changing to make it seem like there was nobody there to accidentally shoot them. Even though we have actual members or people that were at the concert who have spoken to Israeli media, Israeli radio, and they're saying they fired on all the hostages. Actually, let me grab this one real quick. Let's see. Hold on. It was... I just want to read this one quote. For those that may see this and not care to look back at our source material and just assume that we're lying about something, here is a direct quote from somebody who was there. Okay, this is a this is somebody speaking on the record to Haaretz. And, and this is a kibbutz resident, a member of the community that was attacked. His voice trembles when his partner, who was besieged in her home shelter at the time, comes to mind. According to him, only on Monday night, 9th of October, and only after a co- the commanders of the field made difficult decisions, including shelling houses with all their occupants inside in order to eliminate the terrorists along with the hostages. That's a direct quote speaking to Haaretz by somebody who was there, who lives in the community. Did the IDF complete the takeover? Just like with every other example, they've now admitted that they decided hard choices to take out people with knowing there could have been hostages because, well, bad guys. Shooting cars as they fled back to Gaza, knowing there could be hostages in there. One of them could very well be any number of these people. The price was terrible. At least 112 BRA kibbutz people were killed. At least at the guaranteed, some of them were because of their firing. That's what he's saying. Others were kidnapped yesterday, 11 days after the massacre. Bodies of the mothers and her sons were discovered in one of the destroyed houses. One of the destroyed houses. Destroyed, meaning shelling, bombing, because that's only Israel has the capability in this circumstance. So they killed people and and 
buried them under rubble of their own home, just like this happening in Gaza. If you're an Israeli, this should outrage you. That's just one example. In the Gray Zone article, there's three or four other examples that are verifiable with source material that can look right to the, I think it was, I don't know if name, the radio station. I think it was, was it six? I forget. One of the most popular Israeli radio stations and a mainstream platform that has talked to them and they said they killed the hostages too. I'll include this right here. So my point going back to this, remember, was they claim she went to a hospital in Bet Lahaya, right? They claim that the security forces took hours, even though they ran head on into a checkpoint or whatever you want to call it, a blockade. And there is multiple examples of them saying as, and that's one of the ones from the Gray Zone article, people that were saying that as they ran from the concert, they got fired on by the IDF. Some of them that said, no, we're Israelis. They didn't get killed. But some of them saying we watched hostages get shot. It's unbelievably clear. Okay, so with all this discrepancy and all of the information, it only gets more unclear. Oh, and then to make this more clear here, this was Gaza hospital generators to run out of fuel in 48 hours, according to the health ministry. This was on the 24th of October. So first of all, just Gaza hospitals, which would have been one of the places she would have been. So you could argue one of two things. A hospital was bombed that she was in, possibly, or that they ran out of fuel and somebody who was on health, on life support, Somebody who might have been shot in the head would probably die without that. Any number of possibilities is all I'm putting forward. But it says the Indonesian hospital in northern Gaza, in northern Gaza's Bet Lahaya area, was shut down as it could not carry out vital facilities after running out of power on Monday. Okay, so in the meantime, back when they were telling you that she was sent to this hospital, which is what we're talking about, that's the one, that's the hospital we're discussing. We now know that after that, they had to shut down because they couldn't keep it up. And that people are bombing every which way. So what do you think the likelihood is that this is one of the people that were killed in this exact same way, and now we're just being fed another lie? And that was just to show you that they updated that to put a live right there, which makes no sense to me. So remember, in Newsweek, they said that they proved on the 10th that she was alive. Well, here, Lord Bebo points out another interesting discrepancy. Now, this I couldn't find this Build article for some reason. I think it's a translated one, but I did find even their references to the same point. A splinter of a bone was found. That's the actual claim coming right back from the beginning. A splinter of a skull bone was found. So that went from a splinter of a skull bone to the to a important piece of your bone in the back of your head that you would die without to the entire skull. And then we have people claiming even the IDF that they found her body too, even though they are saying her body's their body has not been found. And then they deleted that tweet and reposted it without that part. They are lying to us. I don't mean necessarily that I can prove about her in, in its entirety, but we see them lying on a daily basis. Here's the actual article, or rather the update from Guardian, where it says the Israel confirms German-Israeli Shani Luke has been confirmed dead, murdered by Hamas. And it says, we are devastated to share that the body of 23-year-old Israeli-German Shani Luke was found and identified. And that's not true. That's the tweet. Guess what? They've deleted it. It's gone. And now they retweet it here and say, we are devastated to share that the death of this person was confirmed. Okay, well, so did you just make a quick typo or did you lie about it? And now you're cultivating that lie. We've already seen them do this. We've seen IDF members post about bombing at the, the Ali hospital because Hamas, but then delete it and say, no, it wasn't. It was Hamas that did it. And nobody cares about that, even though it's the most obvious thing in the world. 
on top of that, here are people still tweeting it out like Israel confirmed this. People are sharing that this person, not huge following, there's a lot, you can see a lot of these tweets and these counts sharing this out. The tweet now gone, simply saying, we're devastated to share that her body was found. So it's still spreading, still being shared. Now here's what it says. In Germany, they had earlier today quoted her mother as saying that her daughter's body had not been found but a splinter of a skull had been found and a DNA sample taken that had led to the identification. Luke said she now assumed her daughter had been dead. Interesting how that's now become proven. She says, I assume that she's now dead based on this information. And that becomes, we all know, and now the, pre- the Israeli president sits down with Bild and says, her mother has confirmed to us that she's dead. Do you not realize how grotesquely dishon- dishonest and, and disinsulting that is? They're using her. And even they add, update, Israel's foreign ministry subsequently deleted this message and posted one which no longer mentions her body being found. It's just disgustingly obvious. Now, I think we need to realize that they're being dishonest, that they're lying to us, at least in small ways, or clearly big ways in my opinion. Her mom says they found, it was told this happened. A sliver of something, and yet the whole story is a lie. A skull was found, it's, she can't, she'll die without it. So what are we left with? We're left with an Israeli narrative that seems wildly inconsistent about somebody who at first was told was alive. Now, is it possible that they found out where she was and bombed that location? I really wouldn't be surprised. Either way, it's possible these people died just by being in Gaza right now. But if she turns up alive, that'll only make it harder to believe these people. But I quite frankly don't think many people in that area are going to turn up alive. I mean, they're refusing their hostages back. They're refusing to get these three women stand up and say, you're trying to kill us. And he goes, we still won't do a ceasefire. We're bombing even harder. Where are their families? Shouldn't they be screaming? Well, guess what? They are. Israelis are screaming about Netanyahu right now. Your governments aren't paying attention. Now, here's the directly the link they give you directly from uh, German media. It says the same thing. Her daughter's her daughter has her daughter's body has not yet been found. A splinter of a skull bone was found, and DNA sample was taken. Which again, it's interesting that they would have a DNA sample. That mean that has to mean something. But it says they may have she she may have been killed by a shot in the skull by a terrorist attack or a crossfire or deliberate. Wouldn't it be interesting to find out what bullet it was and be able to compare that to the weapon? But you know what? They're burying everything without checking or they're not even caring to look at it. Now, here is the uh, one of the build articles. Look at what it says. And this is today. This is a, this is a new article. It says, and this is directly from the Israeli president, only now has Shoni Luke's body been identified, says the Israeli president. The identification of 40 more bodies is still pending because the people were brutally abused, burned, or dismembered. We're still going with that. I've yet to see a single example of what they claim, and they've been caught lying at least four times trying to push that narrative. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I've yet to see evidence of it, like real evidence of exactly of any dismemberment, any abuse, or, or other than people being beat up or in the process of being detained, which... If they're IDF members, then that's at least a military target. Here is Lord Vivo also pointing out the kind of timeline of this inconsistency. So to just from today, in the morning, Shawnee's family announced that they have more information that she's dead. A skull fragment was found to match her. Then all kinds of channels and on Twitter post misinterpreted that her head had been found. Why? Because Israel's lying about that. In the afternoon, the president of Israel announced that her head had been found unhinged so either he's just gleaning from online and they don't care about the truth or it does who knows 
unhinged journalists keep adding to the story, which is what we see in every example. Now, all of a sudden, she was gang raped or every, they called her mother to get the pin code for her credit card. None of this stuff has been confirmed. It's just like we heard about the 40 beheaded babies that went around the world before we even realized that was a lie. In my opinion, she, he writes, she was shot and paraded through part of Gaza. That is horrifying enough. Why does everybody need to add a new layer? But you know why? Because it has to be atrocity propaganda to overshadow the 3,000 plus children alone that have been slaughtered in Gaza. And it's ongoing. As far as I, as I understand, he says, the school fragment is probably from the initial spot where she was shot at the festival area. Right. Which then implicates the possibility that that was actually IDF members, as even the people there have testified to. This is beginning to seem very interesting in a, you know, in, I mean, like in an in a analytical way. There's a lot of discrepancies here. So, again, here he is pointing what he said. He's misreporting her mother's words, which is gross. And he knows that, guys. These are gross people, in my opinion. Now, here he points out what the mother actually said. She explained that a splinter of a skull bone was found and the DNA sample was taken on it. Her parents will have to provide the necessary comparison material a long time ago. Would have. I just don't know if that's what's happening. But either way, it's being misrepresented and they're pointing at each other to justify the next story. As far as I can tell, we still don't know. And any honest person would be saying that right now. We have a word from Israel that I don't think we can stand on. Especially, I mean, in any conflict you don't take blindly the side of one of the people involved nobody honest would do that you question everything now one of the other important conversations that i think we should get into are is about what happened in russia this is uh, uh majid nawaz who makes a very important point to this now everybody was talking about this and of course again it really bothered me that this is the focal point I mean, for crying out loud, the civilians hurt in Israel are more important than this topic. But you see, the point is they want to make it only about outrage around racism, right? They want to make the turn this into a worldwide attack on Jewish people to hide what's going on. Look, there's there's hatred against Jewish people. There's hatred against a lot of people. Quite frankly, the Zionist government is confusing people into that hatred, quite frankly, possibly and likely by design. What I mean by that is people that think that that's some kind of Jewish representation that then end up hating Jews because of the Zionist government. And I'm not justifying that. Hatred towards any people is gross, and we should all call it that. But you know who does it more than anybody? Israel, the United States. Open, seething hatred towards anybody that they don't agree with or look like, and on and on and on. Acting like they're fighting for everybody. It's embarrassing. Point here is that this event, without, let's just say it was completely organic, amounts to a group of people that of their own accord decided to go after Israelis in this case. Or it just specifically go after the, the Jews that they believed were there that were Israelis. Now, why does that then immediately get used to paint the picture of the world? Because it's all a propaganda effort. That's all it really ends up being. Or pointing at one, F, one person saying something about being pro-Hamas at a Palestinian rally, and suddenly every Palestinian rally in the world is pro-Hamas. That's not true. It's just they're very simple, and it's because it's aimed at simple people. But here's where it gets interesting. The protesters have reportedly stormed the building of this uh, airport in, in Dagestan, Russia and have re reached tarmac as they're claiming in search of Jews. Now it says to control a means of communication is to control perception. To control perception is to engineer reaction. COVID and Ukraine war showed how easy it was for globalists. Now imagine how, how easy it would be to provoke a digit, a global civil war. If that allows them to divide and conquer, he says, those who, who are awake will find it difficult to become tribal. They will see how every tribal cause just or not serves globalist power. 
because only those in power have the ability to control the means of communication in order to weaponize such causes for divide and conquer. Now, that's where he gets into the interesting points, as expected. First point, for those just catching on, the person we're discussing here, which we'll get into in a minute, Panamurov, Panamurov is a guy who, was organi- who organized the airport riot on Telegram, and we'll show you the information, works with the CIA. Now, you can go through these threads that are a bunch of, like, I these Twitter threads get hard to follow. There's so many, like, threads within threads, and we see what I mean with all these little posts within them. But going forward, there's a lot of information here. It says, despite portraying itself as a local outlet, the Telegram channel have been exposed by both Russian officials and the Kilnip hacker community as project of Ukraine intelligence services set up to stir unrest in Russia. Then he says, I think it's Ilya Panamarov, ex-Russian deputy, now working as a foreign agent in the West, and I'll show you right on Wikipedia, has openly admitted that he works on, on the telegram to create problems in Dagestan. And that the protests have been coordinated mostly by his telegram channel, Morning Dagestan. Now, he says, gladly taken. This is just some, this is a deputy of this platform saying this is the kind of welcome all Israelis should be receiving at the airports of Muslim majority countries. So his point is that these are people that are trying to instigate the kind of hatred that they can then turn around and point at to to move forward their agenda. Now here is the insider paper, which we'll show you next. Russia is openly blaming what happened there on, uh, for on external influence. Here's this or his article right here. Moscow blames outside forces, Ukraine specifically for this riot. Russia on Monday blamed external interference and singled out Ukraine for a riot in a Muslim-majority Dagestan, which saw crowds of angry men overrunning an airport as they looked for Israeli and Jewish passengers. Authorities said 60 people have been arrested, suspected of violently storming an airport and seeking to attack Jews. Now, of course, they don't tell you that part. Assuming this was even completely organic, they frame it as this is what happens in Russia. <laughs> of course they do, because they can't just take the bay. They can't just take what they have to go as far as they can with the narrative. But, you know, Russia arrested these people and, and because they did something that was illegal. But it says the Kremlin announced uh, that Putin will gather top advisors and spy chiefs later today, apparently, to discuss the West's attempts to use the events in the Middle East to split Russian society. Take it for what you will. I'm not saying I believe this blindly, but it's in, it's it's. Quite frankly, aligns with what I believe the West is actively doing and capable of. Moscow also accused Ukraine, which it has been fighting for more than 20 months, of orchestrating the riot, which makes perfect sense to me, especially if this is, in fact, stemming from a Zionist manipulation, because that is they're completely overlapped with what's going on in Ukraine. Quote, yesterday's events at the airport are, to a large extent, the result of external interference, they said. The Kiev regime played a direct role in carrying out the latest destructive act. I mean, guys, this literally is right out of the playbook of what the U.S. government has done as far back as you want to look. Now, he says further evidence that this was a CIA-Ukraine cartel set up. He says in Russian Dagestan, there, where the majority of the population is Muslim, anti-Israel and anti-Jewish riots broke out. They were organized by TG Channel Morning Dagestan, owned by the anti-Putin politician uh, Ila Pomnarov, who lives in Kiev. Now he's a member of the part uh, of who was a member of parliament in 2014. He, he left to go to the U.S. Actually, I'll read this in the uh, the Wikipedia page. 
but you can you can read through this in general and look at what they're saying on the Telegram channels about talking about setting this stuff up. This does not seem organic at all. Now, for, I mean, even if you just think it's exactly what he's explaining, what sense does it make to see a former Russian politician who's fled in support with support by the West into Ukraine, who now works in Ukraine, to suddenly be instigating a Russian riot against Israeli Jews? That seems like a really weird overlap until you realize this is all part of the agenda. And then he just calls out Elon Musk for allowing Netanyahu wing Zionist astroturfing on, on Twitter. But getting into this picture, this, this is who we're talking about right here. A Russian-Ukrainian politician in 2015 who was in the United States at that time. He went into exile in Ukraine in 2016 where he obtained Ukrainian citizenship. Again, that's post-2014, guys. So the coup, and then he goes into Ukraine. Following the start at the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, uh, Pon- uh, Ponomarov stated that he had joined Ukraine's territorial defense forces. Following the killing of Dugu- uh, Daria, Daria Duguna, or excuse me, Dugina, uh, Dugina, right? Isn't that how you say it? Why does it sound wrong right now? Just, that's weird. It sounds, anyway, the per, we, we talked about the assassination of Dugina, I believe. Uh, Panamarov has claimed to have been in contact with a hitherto unknown group called the National Republican Army, which he said claimed responsibility for the killing. You know why I think that's interesting? I quite frankly think this is one of the, one of the extended aspects of the Operation Aero, Project Aerodynamic discussion. So now you've got a Russian-tied entity who claims to have been working with a group that doesn't seem to exist called the National Republican Army, which seems to tie back to the whole vanilla ISIS, U.S.-influenced, white supremacy, attacking thing. It all seems to tie together, but it didn't work, so they just kind of let it drop, I think. Either way, says he claimed responsibility for the killing. The assassination of, a, of, of a, the daughter of uh, Dugan in Russia. That seemed that and so again, why does any of this make sense in regard to him provably on Telegram instigating what happened here? You would argue that based on his allegiances here, which right here is to Ukraine, that he wouldn't have these sentiments towards Israel. It just doesn't make any sense. All of this doesn't add up. Now, in the cradle reports, a bunch of just overlapping points about how it started and what we're seeing reported on social media. Oh, I thought I had something highlighted down here. Oh, that's weird. I swore I had something in this. Well, in any case, if you want to read more about the, the, here's the videos of what they claim happened and what they're reporting about this. But it does, ba- oh, I think it was just the same stuff here, just backing up the same points that they're claiming it was outside influence. But you can read the Cradle's version of it if you'd like. Now, in general, all the points being made already, here is another example of an endless string of examples of what you see extremists, settlers, and other Zionists doing in Israel. So here we have an example of is, and this is, this is, there's, we've already shown you some examples that are just hard to, hard to even understand where they're literally cheering the killing of a child and burning an effigy of it. You know, it's just, it's, they cheer this stuff on. So Israeli settlers kill Palestinian toddler in an arson attack. Here, the Jewish extremists taunt all these on the grill at the slain toddler's relatives. This is, this, is, this was widely covered. This is the Times of Israel reporting this. These are just images, but this is something we've already talked about. It's a real story. Yet we don't point that out. We don't recognize that. Now, I'm not saying that means that every, even every Zionist believes that or thinks that or is that extreme because I'm not that stupid. 
Who knows what different people will think? But we know there is an element like this where the idea is let's relish in the idea that we killed this child or that children die. There is that. And this is a Syrian girl saying baby in the oven. This reminds me of when Israeli terrorists burned a Palestinian baby, then danced and sang always on the grill. This is in reference to the claims that they're finding Israeli children. They're using all these same games. And it's just all stated claims with nothing to prove it. Now, in interest of time, we're already at two and a half. I'm going to play. I'm going to start playing this, but I was going to play the whole thing. It's 20 minutes long. It's a great, great breakdown. They sent decensored news of the absurdities going on at the State Department. And then we're going to get into the, the Amnesty International investigation. Well, let's watch this clip first. Innocent civilian die in Israel. We don't want to see an innocent civilian die in Gaza. We do not want to see one innocent civilian die. We are doing everything we can to make clear to the Israelis that they need to operate in a way that minimizes civilian harm. We're working to do everything we can to minimize civilian harm. Obviously, a number of civilians have died. We don't have any way to make an accurate assessment of our own about the number of civilians who have died in Gaza. Oh, they do. And that's what they're showing you here for the most part. Not only is the evidence as clear as day. Hamas is publishing uh, today a list of names of uh, 7,000, I think, people. Um, we don't... And, and that's the point that I made, by the way. You can prove who they are. You can do your, if they cared enough, they could do their due diligence and find out whether these people are accounted for or in, in these, to some degree. But the point is they don't care. Trust Hamas. There's not an independent body that's operating in Gaza that can provide an accurate number. Not true, actually. Associated Press is there. It's saying that the ministry only allows official source, uh, only the ministry is the only official source for Gaza casualties. The Gaza ministry. Israel has sealed Gaza's borders, barring foreign journalists and humanitarian workers. That's a choice to make sure people can't report what's going on. This is on the 26th, per, and it says the Associated Press is among a small number of international news organizations with teams in Gaza. Oops. So they, they, don't, they don't consider Associated Press independent? I mean, I don't, but they do, right? Or what about the United Nations? Yeah, they're there. They know that because Israel's bombing them and they're ignoring it. He's lying to you guys, and that's the kind of thing they do. They lie. While those journalists cannot do a comprehensive count, they viewed large numbers of bodies at the sites of airstrikes, morgues, and funerals. It's very obvious. We don't have a way of, of accurately is, assessing that number. Is it in the thousands? Is it in the thousands? See, I say there are a number, but I cannot stand here and give you without. There is not a United States body. Right. There's not a United Nations right. body. There's not a credible body that is in there. Yeah, there is, though. There is the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, along with other rep UN representatives that is currently being called out. There, there's we're going to get into it. There's now 60 plus people that have been killed. You, just UN staff and children from their schools. That's not included in the, 50, the 60 number. So he's he. So not only is he lying about that, he's now covering up the fact that they're deliberately bombing UN members. Assessing them. Since you disputed the number of civilians killed, um, here it is. I just wanted you to verify this. So the UN said that 35 of their workers have been killed in Gaza. Now 35 is back to like October 5th, 14th. 
So there might be an older clip. Oh, it says October 26th. So she's just outdated on her numbers. It's right there on the, on, on the Twitter page. But either way, the first person, good for her, for calling out this fact. Nobody seems to bring this up. UN workers were killed. And look at the, watch the way he responds. There are a number, but ah, I cannot find this. So the UN said that 35 of their workers have been killed in Gaza. 24 journalists, including the family of our colleagues, Wael Bahdur. Okay, so she, she makes both points. Right here, we're, this is the one. Yeah, see, this is October 23rd, excuse me. It's now, it's now above 60, mind you. In just seven more days, we pay tribute to our 35 colleagues who have been killed in Gaza. And then she says also journalists that have been killed. He completely skips over this point. Is this something you dispute as well, or you just a Palestinian civilian? <clears throat> no, uh, I don't. Um, I'm not able to verify that. We don't have a, uh, an independent U.S. assessment. The U.N. doesn't count. The United Nations is clearly. I mean, that's what they're reporting. I mean, think about how detestable that is. And where's the rest of the international community? You guys are watching them ignore the fact that U.N. members are being murdered that children are being murdered that are in UN schools, that Palestinian children are being murdered just at, just it, moment to moment. It's disgusting. I don't know how these people sleep at night. I mean, they're sociopaths if they, if they, this is not bothering them. ...to make of that, um, but no, I do not dispute numbers from, from the United Nations, um, uh, obviously. Okay, so what's interesting is he can't confirm it, but you don't dispute numbers from the UN. So it's real, but we somehow can't confirm it even though we believe their numbers. Like, that's an illogical statement. If you don't dispute their numbers, then you do know it's real. There is a great, differ uh, a great difference between the United Nations and a organization like Hamas. Okay, so where does that even make sense in the statement you just made, or what she just asked? No one even brought up Hamas. We're talking about the Israeli bombings of UN locations. That was a clumsy effort to conflate or to suggest that Hamas is there. Look at that face, man. I mean, I'm sorry to make it personal, but my God, like this is somebody who is desperate to try to make the argument that Hamas is responsible, even though you literally know that they're bombing you in locations and everybody can see it and they're telling you that. And you, you just said you don't even dispute their numbers. But we don't conflate Hamas. I mean, God, it just, I, I, it's obvious this, this, this upsets me because these are bad people. Anybody. And it's not just one side or one government. The people that would ignore what's happening to civilians in any circumstance deserve your disdain. But the United Nations using the same numbers. It, 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 I don't know where they're getting there. I don't know where. I don't know. Okay, so this point goes over into the idea that the UN is referencing the numbers from Gaza Ministry of Health. So he now trapped himself by saying, I don't dispute UN numbers, but we don't trust Hamas. Meanwhile, the point was he skipped over the idea of the people in UN that were killed. Just going right to the numbers they're citing about Palestinian civilians. Just clumsy. But he doesn't know where you're getting this from. I guess he just doesn't know where, where Twitter exists. Organization like Hamas. But the United Nations using the same numbers. It, 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 I don't know where that they're getting Hamas their... I don't, know where, I don't know where they're getting their information. The United Nations obviously has connections with workers that it has on the ground. So I'm, I'm not able to speak to their assessments without having any more detail of how they but, arrived at them. We just are unable to offer our independent coward. confirmation of the number because there's no independent body uh, off that's, that is making assessments. The only organization that can give that is currently giving this number is Hamas and obviously okay. we don't trust Hamas. It says the United Nations and other international institutions and experts as well as Palestinian authorities in the West Bank, rivals of Hamas, say the Gaza 
say the Gaza ministry has long made a good faith effort to account for the dead under the most difficult of conditions. And the Washington Post even just said basically that they're the most trustworthy source in this conversation. To paraphrasing, people will dispute that, I'm sure, but basically saying that their past work has been trustworthy, has been, I mean, comparable with what Israel later says was the reality. I mean, it just, it ends up being the truth is the point. That was October 26th they said this. The numbers may not be perfectly accurate, oh, and this was the point here, but they largely reflect the level of death and injury. Note that they end up being accurate. In previous wars, ministry counts are held up to UN scrutiny and even Israel's tallies. So, what 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 basis do we have to call it knowingly when it comes to trying to figure out the numbers of people? Yes, I take it that U.S. officials aren't inside Gaza, but with the rise of organizations that use and basically reverse engineer information on social media to try to pull together those numbers. Why isn't the U.S. government doing that? Is the U.S. government doing that? And and if not, wouldn't that be helpful in trying to determine just how much loss of life has happened? Yeah, because they don't want to know. I mean, it's amazing you can be in this position. Maybe she does. Maybe she's asking to get get an answer from. But we must realize that. You don't look if you don't want to know. And whether that would go towards... Or from the COVID conversation, right? You don't find what you don't look for. Giving Or even actually, I take that back. That was actually from East Palestine. That was hey, all a bunch of government lies. More informed advice to the Israelis. Sure. We would welcome any credible assessment of the loss <laughs> of life. Such a slimy answer, which means the, one, the answers that they get they don't like, they just perceive them as not credible. No matter who it comes from. But if they like it, it's credible. Um, uh, inside Gaza, um, uh, we don't we don't have the ability ourselves. We are not on the ground there, able to to talk to people and and uh, families who have reported lost loved ones. It's not an ability we have when we don't have uh, United States government personnel inside Gaza. But if there was a credible third party that could do it, of course we would welcome it. We begin today's show in Ramallah, in the occupied West Bank, where we're joined by Budur Hassan. Amnesty International researcher on Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. Ah, there you go. Somebody credible who works for Amnesty International. Who's there? I guess you just missed that as extensive due diligence. Amnesty International published a report last week headlined damning evidence of war crimes as Israeli attacks wipe out entire families in Gaza. With the help of our field worker who is based in Gaza and testimonies that we gathered from witnesses, victims and relatives, in addition to open source evidence and photographs examined by our evidence lab team, we found out that Israeli forces carried out indiscriminate attacks, killing and injuring civilians, and in some cases that we documented, and that barely scratched the, scratch the surface of the horror that is unfolding in Gaza. Entire families were wiped out during this bombing campaigns, which is only escalating. We keep hearing n- numbers, and sometimes we may be desensitized and even inured to the extent of horror that we are witnessing that behind each of these numbers there are stories so as part of our work amnesty international researchers have been listening to testimonies of people in gaza of victims talking directly to people over the phone and when we talk to people for example we talked to tahir azaizi 
who lost 26 members of his family. All oh of his God. family were killed in an Israeli airstrike in Deir al-Balah. Tahir Aziz's two children, aged eight and six, were among those killed. His now just think about the people that are ignoring this for whatever reason. No matter how grotesque you want to make the other narrative, that are just ignoring that. That one person, a, a, an aid worker, can have lose 26 members of his family, civilians. They're either pretending that's not real, that Hamas is making it up, or that they deserve to die because the Hamas was there. These are people posing themselves as honest, good people, as Christians, or as, as people that care about human life, or people that are objective, or journalists. They're none of those things. It really is disgusting to me. Excavate and people go in a way that protects, and that's of individual strikes. I will say that our. Ah, come on. The Palestinians are telling the truth about how many people are killed. I'm sure innocents have been killed, and it's the price of waging a war. No, it's not. I have no notion that the Palestinians are telling the truth about how many people are killed. I'm sure innocents have been killed, and it's the price of waging a war. The Israelis should be incredibly careful to be sure that they're focusing on going after the folks that are the pro propagating this war against Israel. He has made clear that Israel needs to operate consistent with international humanitarian law. Israel is conducting what, in our assessment, are legitimate military operations to try to take out the terrorist group. Oh, wait, his assessment? Wait, did we just magically jump to the end of the war where you can assess every single strike in real time? Isn't that what he just told us was the only way you could get an assessment? I guess we're just the next day, so we forget everything we said yesterday, apparently. Welcome to U.S. propaganda. That, that attacked them on October 7th. Do you believe that Israel is... Following the law of war in this case, I mean, right. looking at that entire neighborhood, were completely wiped out. I'm not able to sit up here and offer an right. assessment of individual strikes. I will say that our expectation is that they need to follow the laws of war and they need to follow in international humanitarian law. Mm -hmm. And that means not deliberately targeting civilians, which we do not believe they are doing. It means false. Now, I'm going to leave it there for time. First of all, watch the whole thing. It's excellent. Let's not forget. This liar or somebody that bad at his job or someone who doesn't care, whichever one you want to choose, is somehow incapable of recognizing that their own people in Israel are saying on the record, our emphasis is on damage, not on accuracy. That was on the 10th. It's only gotten worse since then. They're blatantly telling you we're not even trying. We're only going after damage. We want it's not accuracy. And somehow you pretend that we know that they're only targeting Hamas like it's they're incongruent. That does not make sense. And, and everybody knows that. So let's get into the actual discussion of this Amnesty International report that they were reporting there, October 20th. Another 10 days had gone by after this report, which is scathing, damning evidence of war crimes as Israeli attacks wipe out entire families in Gaza. As Israeli forces continue to intensify their cataclysmic assault on the occupied Gaza Strip, Amnesty International, which, in case you don't know, is one of the leading human rights groups in the world, doesn't mean I trust them or believe anything they say. But my point is, in, throughout history, specifically Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have been used by these very forces to point at other bad things people have done. But now they don't want to listen to them. Amnesty International has documented unlawful Israeli attacks, including indiscriminate attacks, which caused mass civilian casualties and must be investigated as war crimes. The organization spoke to survivors and eyewitnesses 
analyzed satellite imagery, verified photos and videos to investigate air bombardments carried out by Israeli forces between the 7th and just October 12th. That's it. Just the 7th to the 12th, which caused horrific destruction and in some cases wiped out entire families. Can you only imagine what happened from the 12th to the 30th? Here, the organization presents an in-depth analysis in its findings in five of these unlawful attacks, just five. In each of these cases, Israeli attacks violated international law, including by failing to take feasible protection to spare civilians, which is what they keep screaming they're doing, or by carrying out indiscriminate attacks that fail to distinguish between civilians and military objectives, or by carrying out attacks that may have been directed against civilian objects. Quote, in their stated intent to use all means to destroy Hamas, Israeli forces have shown a shocking disregard for civilian lives. They have pulverized street after street of residential buildings, killing civilians on a mass scale and destroying essential infrastructure, while new restrictions mean Gaza is fast running out of water, medicine, fuel, and electricity. Testimonies from eyewitnesses and survivors highlighted again and again how Israeli attacks decimated Palestinian families, causing such destruction that surviving relatives have little but rubble to remember their loved ones by. That's Agnes Calamard, Amnesty International's Secretary General. You rarely get a statement like that. And let's not forget, we have Israeli citizens who have on the record testified that IDF shot civilians and hostages in Israel. Seems like a consistent point. She said, well, I'll read it down here. Quote, the five cases presented barely scratched the surface of the horror, that's their words, the horror that Amnesty has documented and illustrate the devastating impact that Israel's aerial bombardments have on people in Gaza. Now, for those that might already be going, why don't they say this about what happened in Israel? Well, I can tell you why. First of all, because they haven't been allowed in to investigate. That's first, number one. And number two, they have said things about what happened on October 7th. And even in this, they make the point about that what happened there, which is grotesque and horrible and we should condemn. There's an entire section in here about that. They simply make the obviously logical point that that does not justify this. And what's happening now in Gaza is on a scale we've never seen before. But the point, they've never been allowed to investigate. Nobody has for that matter. That says something. But it says, and realize that this is ongoing. Somehow the, the U.S. government can't figure out how to make this happen, but Amnesty did. It says for 16 years, Israel's illegal blockade has made Gaza the world's biggest open air prison. A lot longer than that. The international community must act now to prevent it becoming a giant graveyard. That is the Secretary General of Amnesty International. We are calling on Israeli forces to immediately end unlawful attacks in Gaza. They're unlawful no matter what the narrative becomes because you're bombing civilians. And ensure that they take all feasible precautions to minimize harm to civilians and damage to civilian objects. The point is they're proving they haven't done that. Israel's allies must immediately impose a comprehensive arms embargo, given that serious violations under international law, not maybe, are being committed. This is very different than usual things that I see put out by these groups. Because it's that obvious. An arms embargo means they're calling for the world to stop arming Israel. Think about how different this is from recent history. Since October 7th, Israeli forces have launched thousands of air bombardments in Gaza Strip. Way more than that, actually. I mean, my God, this is, it's, um, it's obscene. Killing at least 3,793 people, mostly civilians, 
including more than 1,500 children. Those are just the numbers they can prove. It's way more than that. According to a Palestinian Ministry of Health. Now realize, just the number of children that even Amnesty can verify is more than what they say was killed in total in Israel, most of which appears were IDF and police. According to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, approximately 12,500 have been injured. More than 1,000 bodies are still trapped beneath rubble. Then they go on to make the same point about Israel. More than 1,400 people. Now they say mostly civilians, but that's based on narrative. We can prove based on the information that Haaretz has now released, and we just went over it. Not that investigation that people seem to think is there that we proved wasn't, but the just the ongoing in- information about Haaretz documenting who was supposedly hurt and what happened there, but supposedly being only by one side, which we can prove at least some of them were hurt by Israeli forces. And all of those went down as Hamas, all of them as civilians. And now Israel, as Abby Martin showed us yesterday, is framing literally everybody killed in Gaza as the terrorists were killing. That's the, that's the category headline even though they're the ones admitting in some cases they're civilians when asked by international parties. So what that means is that they're pretending to care when talking to international bodies, but then framing all of them as terrorists. It's very obvious what's going on. But it goes on to say that the numbers of October 7th, 3,000 injured, lost an attack on October 7th. They fired indiscriminate rockets, which they, which absolutely sent fire uh, fighters Southern, but realize, well, you could make an argument. About, rockets are always indiscriminate. That's the point. There's no guidance systems. But you could still make the argument by firing indiscriminate rockets that that would violate the rules of that, that even under Geneva Conventions, you're supposed to be targeting military targets. So there's an argument to be made there. Regardless, the point is they have a right to armed rebellion under Geneva Conventions. That's a fact because it's an occupied territory and sent fighters into southern Israel who committed war crimes, including deliberately killing civilians, which I do believe we've seen evidence of. Even Roberts now pointed out that their stated mandate for this conversation under Al-Aqsa flood was that should that they won't kill civilians, believe it or not, believe it, believe it, take it face value or not, but that if they should get in the way of the operation, that they need to be taken out. So even right there, there is an area where they're admitting that they would kill civilians, which is a crime. And if they did, they should be held accountable for it. My point, though, is even in this article from Amnesty, and they're pointing this out, makes it very clear this is a very one-sided conversation. Now it says, Amnesty International is calling on Hamas and other armed groups to urgently release all civilian hostages. Well, again, let's not forget, they already tried to. Israel refused. And now they're refusing, oh, that's the wrong one. Well, Israel refused. That's on the record. Now their own hostages speak up and say, what are you trying to kill us? Ceasefire. And he says, no, we're going harder. So who actually is wanting to help people here? Maybe nobody. Definitely not Netanyahu, definitely not Israel. Urgently releasing all civilians is the opposite of what they seem to want and to immediately stop firing indiscriminate rounds, rockets. There can be no justification for the deliberate killing of civilians under any circumstances. I agree. Anybody saying anything different than that and, and is wrong. It's about stopping the killing of civilians no matter where they are, what they look like, what they believe in. Hours after the attacks began, Israeli forces started their massive bombardment of Gaza. Since then, Hamas and other armed groups have continued firing rockets into civilian areas, or you could argue that Again, you can't, they're not, as far as I understand it, they're not targeted. So they're simply firing rockets in response to a genocide. And those rockets, because of no guidance, hit some civilian areas, which again, whether it's knowing they're indiscriminate is still the point. But what's, what's, what's going on? It's hard not to see why, that, why that's being taken. Meanwhile, in occupied West Bank, Jerusalem, even in the West Bank, they can prove 79 Palestinians, including 20 children, have been killed by forces and settlers amid a spike in excessive use of force by the army in state-backed settler violence. 
which Amnesty is also investigating. You don't, you can't deny this stuff. They're literally just killing innocent people because they're there and they're Arabs. That it's, that's what even the BBC and other groups have pointed out. Not that necessarily exactly because they're Arabs part, but the settlers with no official capacity are running around and just beating people up, shooting people. And they just, then Israel just says, go Hamas. Amnesty Internationals continue to investigate dozens of attacks in Gaza. This output focuses on five of those unlawful attacks. A refugee camp, residential buildings, a family home, and a public market. It's just disgusting. All of these are verifiable. Our research points to damning evidence of war crimes in Israel's bombing campaign that must be urgently investigated, which, I, which I'm almost willing to bet you will never happen unless something shifts. Decades of impunity and injustice and the unprecedented level of death and destruction of the current offensive will only result in further violence and instability in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories, which, by the way, is all of Israel. Quote, it is vital that the Office of the Prosecutor and the International Criminal Court urgently expedites its ongoing investigation into evidence of war crimes and other crimes under international law by all parties. The point is, Israel will never allow that. Palestine welcomes it. That's a provable fact. The reason that I, the ICC even feels it has the right to do this is because Palestine has signed on with the ICC and welcomes their investigation, which is very telling. Israel refuses and says no, just like the United States. Doesn't that tell you something? It's very telling which the parties that act like they're doing right but refuse to be investigated, in fact, have numerous times threatened the families of the investigators, Bolton and Pompeo. But they're the good guys, though. Trust, trust Israel. Without justice and the dismantlement of Israel's system of apartheid against Palestinians, there can be no end to the horrifying civilian suffering we're witnessing. So at the very least, they can point out that both sides are committing crimes, but they're very aware who is causing all of this to be the problem. That's Israel's apartheid, active crimes against humanity, and illegal occupation. The relentless bombardment of Gaza has brought unimaginable suffering to people who are already facing dire consequences. So in the interest of time, Let's get to the main points. Gaza civilians pay the price. Amnesty International investigated five of these attacks. Oh, right, starting down here. Whole families wiped out. Around 820 on October 7th, Israel forces struck a three-story residential building right out of the gate, guys. October 7th, they struck a residential building in a civilian neighborhood where three generations of the Aldas family were staying. 15 family members were killed in the attack. Seven of them were children. All this has been verified by Amnesty International. The victims include Awani and, and both Aldas family and their grandchildren and namesake Awani. 12, 17, youngest, 18 months old. Mohammed Aldas, whose five-year-old son Rockin was killed in the attack, told Amnesty International, two bombs fell suddenly on top of the building and destroyed it. My wife and I were lucky to survive because we were staying on the top floor. She was nine months pregnant and gave birth at the Al-Shifa Hospital one day after the attack. Our entire family has been destroyed. Amnesty International interviewed a neighbor whose home had been damaged during the attack, receiving no warning from Israel, despite their claims was suddenly, boom, nobody told us anything. The fact that the building was full of civilians at the time of the airstrike further supports the testimony of other survivors who said Israel forces did not issue any warnings. It took relatives, neighbors, and rescue teams more than six hours to remove bodies from the rubble, which now they bombed so largely and so across, so often that they can't, that there's not even, they don't have the ability to do it anymore. This was right in the first day. And the Caesar research has found no evidence 
of military targets in the area at the time of the attack. It's as simple as that. If Israeli forces attacked this residential building, knowing there was only civilians present at the time, this would be a direct attack on civilian objects or civilians, which are prohibited by, as a war crime. Israel offered no explanation of the incident, just ignoring it because no one cares. The U.S. government's not calling them out for it, so they just pretend like it didn't happen because there is no explanation other than they wanted to hurt people. It is incumbent on the attacker to provide the legitimacy of their conduct, but they don't care. Even if Israel forces targeted what they thought was a military objective, here's the important part, attacking a residential building at a time when it was full of civilians in the heart of a densely populated civilian neighborhood in a manner that caused the number of civilians to be killed would be indiscriminate. It, it doesn't matter that you claim Hamas is there. It's still a crime. Indiscriminate attacks that kill and injure civilians are war crimes, period. On October 10th, an Israeli airstrike on a family killed 12 members of the Hijazi family and four of their neighbors. Three children were among those killed. Israel stated that Hamas struck the targets, but gave no further information and did not provide any evidence of the presence of military targets. Oh, excuse me, that they struck Hamas. Amnesty International's research found, ready for it? No evidence of military targets in the area at the time of the attack. Israel's lying. They're lying when they hurt civilians by saying Hamas was there and your governments blindly take that, most likely knowing that they're lying. Over and over, ex explanation after or example after example after example. This one, the barber was killed alongside the person that they apparently wanted to kill, both, both of them innocent people. According to Amnesty International's findings, there were no military objectives in the house or its immediate vicinity. This indicates that this may have been a direct attack on civilians or civilian objects, which is prohibited as a war crime. In, inadequate warnings. This one's important. These are multiple cases where they're documenting that they get zero warning before they murder people. The organization repeatedly found that Israeli military had either not warned civilians at all or issued warnings which were inadequate, like five minutes before they bombed. In some instances, they informed a single person and then struck an entire street full of people. It says, or issued unclear evacuation orders which left residents confused. Or, as we now know, bombed them as they went to the places they told them to go to. In no cases did Israel force ensure forces ensure civilians had a safe place to evacuate to which is required in one attack on the jablia market people had left their homes in response to an evacuation order only to be killed in the place they were told to go to this should be over this is a leading human rights group proving with their investigation that they've targeted civilians that they haven't warned them that they told them to flee and then bomb them where they went this is showing you who, the, the, the guys, the, 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 these are sinister people. They're clearly leading what's going on today. And it says, giving a warning, by the way, no matter how far out, does not free armed forces from their obligations under international law. Weirdly, all of the rules-based international order people just can't seem to wrap their mind around that. Everyone was looking for their children. God, the point is they're bombing refugee camps. They're bombing civilian hospitals. All of this is being documented. Their own investigation is finding it. This case, they reviewed six different videos showing the aftermath of the strike on this, on this market, a civilian market. The images show a densely populated area with multi-story buildings. Videos of the aftermath and satellite imagery show at least three multi-story buildings completely destroyed. Numerous deceased bodies all over the rubble on the streets. Point is, no evidence of any military target. 
It's just, it's, it's on and on and on. We cannot even count our dead. I'm just, I'm just kind of running through it, guys, because I don't want this to go too long. Amnesty International is now calling on the Israeli authorities to immediately and, un, and, un, and unlawful attacks and abide by international law, which means they're not, which a child could see, including by ensuring that they take all feasible precautions to minimize harm to civilians and damage civilian objects and refrain from directed targets on civilians. All of this is happening. Immediately allow unimpeded delivery of humanitarian aid. They will never do that. War crime. Urgently lift its block, its illegal blockade. So just understand, stopping the delivery of aid coming in is one thing. There's been an ongoing blockade, like there was, it still is, or, well, actually, it's been a long time since I've catched up on that, but at least as far as I understand it, there's still, at least there was an ongoing blockade around Yemen's Hodeida port, which has been starving them for as far as I can look back because of U.S. foreign policy. Same thing here. That's been ongoing in Gaza for a long time. This is just a new version of it. Stop that, they're saying rescind their appalling evacuation order, which in and of itself is a war crime, displacing people. Grant immediate access to independent commissions so they can investigate. They'll never do that because they know what they're doing. They're also calling on the rest of the world to, to find their courage and their constitution to do something that's right, which they won't do either. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I just, I think they've explained who they are by now. But 10 days later, the Leaders of the free world are only backing them harder. They're only bombing more and then just yelling at you. In fact, calling for the UN member to leave, to register, to resign because he dares cite that there was an illegal occupation. Freddie Pontone makes a great point. Let's get some facts straight about Israel's right to defend itself. Article 51 of the UN Charter provides for the use of force by a state in self-defense only in the case of an armed attack by another state. Exactly. So ultimately, this amounts to, like I said, the United States bombing Florida because they didn't do what they wanted or because they occupied. So ultimately, it's not, there's no right of self-defense when you're bombing yourself. Let's put it that way. It's an illegal occupation, which means they legally have the obligation to do something to help these people. Now, wrapping it up, because we're already passing three hours. We are now, this is as of seven hours to go. No words can describe the grief for 63 members of the United Nations team in Palestine. Killed since October 7th. 63. So now it's 63 members of their staff, along with 30 plus of their pupils killed in their schools. On top of 3,000 plus children alone killed in Gaza, tens of journalists, medics are killed. And are you blaming Hamas for this, Israel, tagging them? Of course, nothing. Disgusting. They're also now holding almost 700,000 people in multiple shelters around their, their, in their, their UN areas. And they're bombing them over and over. Now, David Miller points out, here is a Zionist speaking on Israeli media, making sure you understand that in his opinion, there is no population in Gaza. There's 2.5 million terrorists. They just can't stop themselves from making it clear, even as they're trying to convince the West that they care about the innocent civilians. It's, it's, on, it's on Israeli TV. Here's the full, full clip. You want to watch it for yourself. Very clear. Oh, and here's a video in case you want to see it about uh, security checkpoint bombing, and is which has now been proven to be a Palestinian civilian vehicle. As they turn around from the block checkpoint, they bomb them. It's right here. Boom. They're literally about to drive away. They they murder them. The journalists are screaming in, as they drive away. Horrible. You can see the title. Translate it real quick. 
The moment an Israeli tank that entered Gaza Strip targeted a civilian car. Now, it's not, that's not just because they say that. This, is, this has been covered now by multiple people. Now, here is Barry Malone pointing out Al Jazeera is now reporting 12 hours ago that the family of its Gaza correspondent has been told that he has to leave or he's going to die. That's what's going on. And we're quibbling about what's happening. He explains that she doesn't feel that there's any safe route for her to family to take. Her family is there, by the way, and sounds that they can hear the bombardments happening behind her. This probably just one more journalist is about to get killed in a long string of over two dozen journalists that have now been killed in Gaza, including members of Al Jazeera. We have Reuters journalists that have been killed on the outskirts of Lebanon while they bomb them. They've that they really literally just bombed the U.N. location in Lebanon, too. Eva Bartlett covers this with a lot of work ongoing. This is the, by the way, this is the video I showed you back on the 16th. As usual, she writes, Israel openly bombs UN buildings without fear of being held accountable. How is that possible? This, what you're looking at, as we showed you then, is one of the UN agencies for Palestinians. It's one of this, one of their main warehouses right near the Al Quds hospital. It's, they bombed it, guys. It's verifiable. And I guess it was full of a lot of supplies and necessary things for the refugees. She writes, on January 2009, after invading the Tel Al-Hawa district, Israel repeatedly bombed the the Quds Hospital. Israeli snipers targeting Palestinian civilians fleeing the residential areas. She she goes, I was with an ambulance that went to evacuate civilians from the hospital. You can read about it there. And and take them to the Sheba Hospital. Israeli bombings also targeted the Red Crescent as they were doing so. I mean, this is not new, guys. Follow Eva Bartlett. She's doing excellent work. Here, Solomon points out Israeli bombs the Turkish-Palestinian Friendship Hospital, which is just another hospital, only cancer hospital in Gaza. Are we, are we are starting to see a pattern here? Are we going to pretend like they're not deliberately bombing all of the areas that help these people in hopes of driving them into the desert of Egypt? Well, we know we keep hearing the Al-Shifa, not this one, but the Al-Shifa Hospital, the one they're already starting to bomb around, right? Well, they're telling you it's the hot, it's the, the main base for Hamas. Well, here is a Norwegian physician who's telling you he's worked there for 16 years and there's no evidence at all that that's the case. But I guess he must be a Hamas operative, right? President Netanyahu to put on the table the proofs and the evidence that there is a control and command center for the Palestinian resistance. Yeah, that, that 3D video doesn't prove anything. In Shifa Hospital. We have heard these claims since 2009. We have twice been threatened to leave Shifa Hospital in 2009 and 2014 because the Israelis were going to bomb it because it was a command center. Now, I have been working in... Now, now ask yourself why they wouldn't then bomb it after the conflict, right? I mean, if we're being told that it's a Hamas compound, they never quibble about bombing what they say is Hamas. They do that on every Tuesday. But yet they didn't, and they wait until this happens, and now they target it. Weird, right? Or actually very, very revealing. Shifa, for 16 years, 16 years on and off, in very hectic periods, very hectic periods, I've been able to walk freely around. I take lots of pictures. I video film. I've been sleeping in the hospital during bombardment. I've been all over. I've never been restricted, controlled. Nobody has ever controlled my, my picture and documentation material. Now, if you want to understand, I mean, literally anybody in Israel is in some way being controlled. And like right now, the point is, if he tried to do any of this right now in Israel, in any circumstance, they would be controlling what he tried to do, controlling what he was allowed to take out. You ask any journalist that goes to Israel or any, any, they, I've said this many times, the 
security leaving Israel is far more intensive than going in. There's only one way to understand that. It's about controlling the perception of what's happening inside of this controlled area. It's not a democracy. We should damn well know that by now. So here he is in Palestine, occupied Gaza, occupied Palestine, Gaza, in a hospital they're telling you is a command center for Hamas. Not only is he telling you he doesn't see any of that, that he moves freely, does what he wants, takes what picture he wants. Now, of course, he could be lying like anybody could be lying. But what we know for sure is we now have more than one uh, uh, foreign, not, not Palestinian, surgeon, a doctor, telling you they've been there, worked there, that that's not true. And telling you, and, and my point is, if you if he tried to do any of this coverage right now or any other time in Israel, they would try to take his footage. We've seen this constantly. So, well, if there is a command center, show us. You have pictures and x-ray films of all Gaza, all the tunnels, everything. So why is it that these 16 years of threats that Shifa is a command center has not been given any evidence at all that it de facto is. No. Because they're lying. If it was a military command center, I would not work there because I obey to the Geneva Convention, number one. Number two, if the Israelis claim that this is a mixed military civilian target, because obviously it is civilian, with tens of thousands of people gathering there and 2,000 patients being treated. If it is a mixed military civilian target, the civilian precautions take priority over the military. So yeah, exactly, guys. It's the same points. Everybody knows that. And exactly if this was anybody else in, in the one conducting the bombing, well, the U.S. government would have a moral obligation to say, you can't, what about the civilians? Just like they pretended they cared about in, in, in Ukraine, right? It's just blatant hypocrisy. The reality is the law, the equal application of international law. Civilians, need to be protected. That's why collective punishment is present. That's why all these war crimes exist. And every one of them is being violated by Israel and tacitly by the United States by allowing, and quite frankly, involved as well. Having people on the ground, having a three-star general on the ground, all that's been proven operating in Israel right now, helping them conduct their genocide. And don't forget, we just talked about him as well. I'll include this again. Surgeon Ghassan Abu Sattah, who is from London, he goes there every time they say he's there now working. And the point is, He's telling you some of the worst things he's ever seen. I mean, it, it's horrific. And one of the main parts is that he's working there and there's no evidence that it's a controlled issue, issue hospital by, by Hamas. Now, here was the Red Crescent, again, telling you they've received serious threats from the occupation authorities to immediately evacuate the Al-Quds Hospital, threatening them. Listen, if you listen to herself, she's telling you it's they're threatening violence. And then, of course, we have, oh, well, actually, this was just this one should go next. We have the Israeli occupation forces then deliberately continuing to launch rockets near these hospitals. And then, of course, they drive them out of the hospital. I mean, all of this is cr- criminal actions. Now, I, this, I actually included it for this. I can't confirm this. That wouldn't surprise me. Rob says reporting, according to Save the Children, there's no link included. Over the last four years, more children have perished in Gaza annually than in all global conflicts combined. That's what she's claiming. I, have a, I didn't confirm that. I couldn't. I looked real quick and I wasn't able to find it. But I, wanted, I thought this was interesting. This person writes, in response to the Gaza children dying, that's what happens when you strive to be a Nazi. Are you, are you mixing up your narratives here? Educate your children to be part of the 21st, not the 7th. Did you, did you mean Al-Qaeda? ISIS, maybe? Or are we now pretending ISIS and Nazis are the same thing? I mean, think about how ridiculous all this is getting. It's clumsy. So now, Hamas, is, are they Nazis or are they ISIS? 
I mean, it just doesn't make much sense. The point is they're just because now they're trying to use Nazi because that talks that's the kind of Israeli side of this where, oh, it's the Holocaust and the Jews. It's, it doesn't, none of this makes any sense. They're not ISIS. They're not Nazis. They're not. It's just painful how you they're just trying to whitewash. And again, the worst part is you're saying that because Gazan children were killed. Are you claiming they're Nazis? Are you claiming that Palestinians are all Hamas and then they're all Nazis? I mean, it's just it's ignorance, wholesale ignorance. And as the director of the Electronic Intifada, Ali Abunama, points out, the Biden administration isn't just giving a green light for ethnic cleansing. It's bankrolling it. 100%. Sarah Abdallah points out, in just 24 days, Israel has killed 8,000 Palestinian civilians in Gaza. This is per the health ministry. 3,324 of them alone are children. And still, Western leaders want this genocide to continue. It's not, And this is, this is the craziest part to me. I actually didn't even notice she posted this right here. I had this one next. Miriam Bargaudi points out, do you understand that the more than 8,000 Palestinians killed, that's just the numbers of those killed in direct airstrikes. It's not even counting people dying because of lack of medicine, infections, dehydration, bury. I mean, it, that's crazy. The number of Palestinians killed is much higher than you imagine. I don't even, I, I don't see how that's, it's, that's clearly what's happening. Now, by the way, before we before we play this one, it's it's a little rough. For those, as Salomon Ahmad points out, woman saved from the rubble in Gaza. Now, quite frankly, many of you may not care about this as much as I do. I genuinely mean this. This what you're about to see is a huge part of this that nobody cares about. It seems even I mean I know there's a lot to care about. There's a lot of people that are suffering and on a lot and in civilians everywhere. But we fail to think about the other aspects of civilian life, of just people in society, of things, people's animals, people's, you know, any number of things that are happening. And think about with what's going on in Gaza. You realize how many animals are there, how many dogs and cats and things that are suffering that we just don't even think it's unfathomable to me. And I, for the first time after this, I was like, it gave me the worst feeling. I don't know how you guys all feel about it, but I, I'll tell you right now, I care more about my dog than I do most people. Some people think that's crazy. But that is my family. And she's, quite frankly, a better person than most people. But it made me sick to think about how many innocent, unknowing, trusting animals were just killed in their apartments and their homes. And as Solomon Ahmad points out, here's a woman saved from the rubble in Gaza. Hey, hey. <coughs> <coughs> he's clearly hurt too. Gosh, it makes me sad. And, you know, thank God they, they saved it. But I mean, think about, I mean, it's just so sad how many innocent people and animal, innocent, innocent, how much innocence is being destroyed. Destroyed. Now, what's interesting down here, they put a reader's context because it says for those using screen reading technology, it says Solomon Ahmad has been baiting community notes. And this is actually a cat. <laughs> oh, really? Thanks for the community fact check. 
I mean, I just think, I don't know if he's trying to just be kind of facetious or if he is just kind of doing this to manipulate the community notes. I think it's hilarious, quite frankly, on the note of him trying to play the community notes. But, you know, this is just, I really, just for some reason, this video is really maybe sad. It's just there's so much of it everywhere. Now, Craig Murray points out NATO, and this is a really excellent point that I hadn't expressed. NATO is literally, as we now see, assembling the most powerful fleet in the world that its world's ever seen in the Eastern Mediterranean to threaten the Palestinians. At least that's what he's framing it. A little different point there. But guess what? It, well, at least they're framing it around the Palestinians, right? But they have no Navy, no Air Force, no Army. They're currently being killed by Israel's in the thousands. Israeli, killed by Israel, but in the thousands. So what's the logic of bringing out all of your aircraft carriers? Well, it's very clear when you think about it. Because what they're doing, they're, they're posturing against Russia and Iran and everybody else. So they're already bringing this in, even though they're framing this around what's going on with Hamas. But Hamas doesn't have Air Force or Navy. So think about how transparent that is. They just don't care. They're trying to make this happen, it would seem. Man. Now, I'm going to leave it there. There's one more point I was going to get into, but I can bring it up in the next show. And that, that's in regard to, well, I, I, what, let me show you what the... The oil part, I was, I'm was. i going to reiterate that. Yeah, I mean, some of these I can just get into the next day. So the point, somebody made a great point in my, in my wire chat about the, all of a sudden they're saying, troops had traumatic brain injuries after what just happened in Iraq, and it's weird. It's exactly the same thing. No deaths, apparently, but 30 different traumatic brain injuries. I don't buy any of that. I don't need, that's a weird story. We'll poke into that next time. Or the idea that they're claiming that there's threats everywhere, except we can prove that they then later go on to say, we have no information for threats at all, but we're telling you there are threats. It's just, they're building this narrative right now. And that goes into the ending point about what this, you know, the real image in Syria. And we'll go into this in a future show in general. The point is they're really desperate to make you think that this is a huge issue that's coming around the world and you're all going to, and really all it amounts to is belligerent foreign policy by Israel, by the United States that has driven desperate people into desperate action. That's not to justify illegal acts. It's simply to understand what's going on in front of us. And now based on that, they're now going even further to try to remove a people that they don't want to be there and committing mass genocide. And all these governments are just happily looking away as everyone they usually point at is going, look, that's horrifying. They're murdering people and they're going, well, we can't confirm. We don't, we're not sure. We haven't got intended bad investigation. It's, it's disgusting. And it is, it is literally reshaping the way people see the world right now, which it is horrifyingly a positive thing, but it's nothing's worth what we're seeing happen right now. So please find the courage to stand with this right now. And I'm not talking about any political side, pro-Israel, pro-Palestine, pro-anything. Stand with the people that are being killed and against whoever is allowing that to happen. It's as simple as that for me right now. Now, people brought this in the other day, and I even I made this point actually last show that I guess they missed when they said I never do this, but... They act, they're, they're asking why I never, even though I have, talked about the larger kind of global implications or the possible overlaps of the Great Reset. I mean, I just yesterday made that point that I, I have. I, in, in many different points, I've kind of alluded or pointed at the different potential overlaps. But what I said yesterday, and I, and I mean this, it is in the immediacy of this topic, I have a hard time trying to go into that topic when I'm my, right now, like I just said, I'm immediately focused. Excuse me. <clears throat> immediately focused on trying to save people's lives. And, and yes, in the long sense, I do think, or even just the immediately near future sense, I do think those are going to be, you know, where the WHO treaty goes, what happens in Gaza and how that may then be, even like the, t the topic of 
Starlink or the five minute or the uh, the smart city conference. All these things are, are are possible. But right now, I'm immediately focused on just trying to wake up as many people as possible to what is still happening in hopes that we can save one more family, one more cat, one more animal, one more innocent person. And and I will. And as you know, I still am to some degree. We'll be getting into this and the larger implications. But I'm just this is immediate wartime coverage right now. And I think we need to make sure we don't miss what these people are going through. I'm sure I know we're not. I know that's obviously not because if you guys are here and where we care, but we'll get to it and we will continue. I've been trying to do even today. I moved off a topic about this, but more will be coming. Please help people see what's going on here and, and don't do it from a political standpoint. Don't do it from a one side's wrong, one side's right. Even though you may think that, and even though you may be right in thinking that try to wake them up to just the simple grotesque reality, show them the MS international article. How can somebody deny that? Show them the UN post about their people being killed. It's as simple as that. And say, this can't be okay, no matter what happened over here. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to support this platform, we need your support as always. What I'm wearing this shirt tonight for a reason, free speech absolutist, obviously, because we have to be able to have these hard conversations, in particular, when people's emotions are high. That's when it's most important to have the courage to wait in. That's what, we're, that's what our job is. People that wait for it to go away and then step in later, they're not real journalists, in my opinion. We have to do this in the real time. So if you want to support this, you can buy this shirt if you'd like from the notes, show notes below or different shirts that we sell. But just supporting us, shouting up for your don- our, our uh, donation platform on the website where you can go to the different options under Stripe and different things. And you could donate a dollar a month or whatever you want to support us with and do it recurring if you'd like. Support our Substack, support us on the different su- subscribe star, buy me a coffee our direct donation to our mailing address. There's a lot of ways you can, but first and foremost, share the content. Get this in front of people. That's I would rather you do that than send a dollar if you were choosing between the two. I just can't tell you how much I respect what you guys are doing and how much, because we don't exist without you. So thank you for being here and continuing to show me personally and hopefully the rest of the world that there are good people out there that care about fighting for good things and supporting people that don't have a voice. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.